0: Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippey transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall and then writing down every thought you have.
1: What's up? Happy Sunday night, Monday morning. I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning into another edition of the Rippy writes podcast on the other end of the line as he is every Sunday, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Weldon Rodenberg. You guys know the drill at this point. We'll cover all angles of Ole Miss's 42-21 to 21 loss to Alabama in a game that really wasn't even that as close as the final scoreboard suggested it. A pretty frustrating day for the Rebels. I think there's a lot of, you know, we'll get into the, the I guess, minutia if you want to call it, the, what actually happened in the game uh, first. But I actually think there's a lot of, like, big-picture stuff that's fascinating, particularly with what's coming down the pipe next week. And then the return of the fastest-growing segment on American Soil soccer corner but before we get to that one, I want to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. The world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry. Skybox, four and two on the NFL this weekend, pending the Sunday night football results. Hammered a NASCAR race at plus 1,400 earlier this weekend. So big weekend for Skybox. On that front, no, is a big week for the promo code. Appreciate everyone listening, tuning in to Skybox and utilizing that. It is well worth your money. I can promise you that. We are recording this still as the Sunday night as the game is going on. So, but guaranteed to have a winning week for Skybox Sports for I believe the third time in fourth week, four weeks in the NFL had a seven and. Oh, week, I think is what it was in the nine and one last week. I know is exactly what it was. So you need to check them out. SkyboxSportsPicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY and you get 20% off any purchase. They're going to have a picks package that fits your price range. I can guarantee that. Check them out. SkyboxSportsPicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. Uh, right now, if you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights newsletter, you get a 16-ounce prime strip for 15 bucks and a five-dollar pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your football watching weekend. Go buy, get that as a Kickstarter, and then go check everything else they have out at the store. The filet burgers are awesome, all kinds of great sausages, crab stuff mushrooms, lane train special, Keith Carter special. Greg's got it going on at LB's. It's absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. I cannot wait to head back to LB's next weekend and stock up uh, before I head back to Texas after the Arkansas game. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. You need to check them out. Greg wants to make your grilling
0: experience better. What's up, man? Oh, not too much. I ended up, well, I was at the LSU Auburn game last night, which was an event. Uh, Didn't end up leaving to go back to Houston today. I just couldn't get off the couch watching the Saints lose. So that was a lot of fun. Um, So I'm just here, actually, in my backyard. It's actually very nice outside after yesterday being a monsoon of rain all day. It was fun. So we're here, ready to get started.
1: I was about to say the uh, same thing. Your podcast setup looks a little bit more scenic than mine does. Um, So that's (laughs) always nice. Got the little outdoor vibes. I like it. Um, Yeah. So how was, you know, One of the main things, so I was at a wedding in uh, St. Simon's Island. I'll get to that in a second. But the (laughs) game was still on after the reception was well over. And I didn't actually know you were at the game. But what was it like just being in Death Valley for an 8 o'clock game again? Because that's the first time they've had one of those in quite a while. I know they've had a home game this year, but clearly not the same thing as a primetime SEC matchup in October. What was that like to kind of be in that environment again?
0: It it was great. You know, I've grown up every single weekend going to LSU games it's so it's nothing new for me it is funny though we went to the Alabama game last year when it was the COVID 25 percent and to me my dad my brother and it's just us in like an entire section basically you know you could just sprawl out do whatever you want it was uh, actually a lot of fun I kind of some people obviously you want the big crowds and Tiger Stadium Death Valley the whole deal which is the best you know in the country but there, there are some pros and cons to kind of having a whole section to yourself with no rules, no issues. Uh, it yeah, was that's crazy. true. I hadn't thought about it that way. No, yeah, I I'd look back on it sometimes, and be like, I didn't hate this so bad. I didn't hate this so much. Uh, the, it, the atmosphere was good. Uh, I would say actually, the second half of that game, a lot of people left, and it, it was. It's not the same Death Valley it used to be. At least when I was growing up. I mean, if you're a team and you can survive the first quarter, there. When everyone's, you know, buzz is still still hyped up, you can do just fine. And that was a w- really weird game, and uh, we'll get to it later, I'm sure. But it, it's, you know, LSU's still LSU. Nothing's changed with that team. That felt like a pretty
1: good litmus test of, like, are they good-ish and, like, caught some tough breaks early on in the season, or are they average to bad? Like, if you can't put away that Auburn team who just put back in a Bo Nix quarterback after a benching at home, Uh, They're definitely average to bad. And like you said, we'll get to in a minute, but like their inability to run the ball seems to render pretty much everything else they do offensively way far, way less significant. Um, So yeah, I agree. They're very average. Speaking of not being able to run the football with much consistency, the Ole Miss rebels were a absolute hot mess on Saturday afternoon. It's interesting. There was a lot of buildup for this game. And I couldn't decide what I thought. I think like privately, I say privately, just like conversation amongst like friends or just interacting with people about the game. I was probably a little bit more over optimistic than anything I put out from like a content perspective. And I guess what I mean by that is like the more you kind of talk about it, you kind of like talk yourself into the idea, I guess, of Ole Miss having a shot. Whereas every time like I would do like some sort of like dive into Alabama or something or kind of look at Ole Miss's numbers, it was kind of like, okay, I could see it. But like, I don't know if it's as sure of a thing as we think. And that ended up, I guess, kind of playing out true. I'll tell you what, though. Ten games, like, if you made me write out ten ways this game was going to play out, Ole Miss not being able to block Alabama at all on the offensive line was not one of them. And maybe it should have been, but out of the, all the scenarios I played through kind of in my head of how the game playing out, that wasn't one of them. Were you shocked by that? And what was just kind of your, you know, 10,000-foot view take on this thing?
0: Yeah, I will admit that I was – I guess it's kind of just how it works. I talked myself into the, the seeing them win this game. And I think the national narrative really this idea that Alabama was like so vulnerable because they had to go on a road game in the swamp with the true freshman quarterback and like still won the game was probably a little bit, uh, out there. And I think the Vegas line kind of reflected that. Um, yeah, I, I knew we were going to struggle a little bit. I didn't think we would look like that from an offensive line standpoint. Um, it was a little shocking. I think Omana and, uh, you know, Caleb Warren and Re- Jeremy James, they all had really rough games. Um, and that alley defensive line, you know, it's not, it's not the defensive line they've had the past few years. I mean, they're obviously still incredibly talented, but, with the exception of Anderson, who will be in the draft, a top 10 pick, you know, not this year, but next year. The other guys are, are guys, you know, they're, they're very good Alabama football players, but not these, you know, Jonathan Allen, you know, guys of old, uh, Deshaun Ra- or, uh, Oshawn Robinson or whatever his name was. Just like the studs they've had, it just wasn't that group. They looked, uh, sped up. They looked tired. They looked, I just kind of lethargic. And they were just getting their ass beat all day long. And, you know, I think we talked about right before we started this, that this game was kind of decided in the first 30 minutes. And it was decided because they couldn't run the ball and they couldn't protect Matt. Yeah, you're dead on there. And that's part of
1: the – talking about Alabama's offensive lines other than um, Anderson, like just being a dude. Because if you watch the Florida game, he was an absolute freak on the edge against Florida. I mean, like pretty much any good play that Alabama made at the line of scrimmage in the second half of that game, it seemed like he was involved in, in some way, but you're right outside of him. They were just, like you said, just kind of dudes, like not your typical Alabama defensive line that you've become accustomed to seeing really for the entire Saban uh, era, there Saban dynasty, whatever you want to call it. So that was another surprising aspect of it. I guess that's why I didn't necessarily think about it that way, but man, did, was it ever the case? Like, I mean, they, like you mentioned, they got their ass kicked and you know, I do hate to like, I hate to speaking on things that I clearly have no idea. And clearly I'm not in the head of any of those five offensive linemen, but it appeared that after about a drive and a half or two drives, and they kind of realized that they were getting whipped as badly as they were, it kind of shook them up a little bit. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if there's any truth to or merit to put in that. It's just something I wrote down yesterday when watching the game and Uh, I guess I didn't notice it as much watching the second time, but it seemed like they got beat pretty bad early on. And then it really kind of affected them for the rest of the game. And yeah, you're right. They got sped up and looked honestly kind of lethargic at some points, but what the weird part about it was like, I think the lesson we learned in all of this is Ole Miss has to be able to run the ball to, I think have success offensively against any comp I say, competent defense, good defense, good ish. Like it doesn't even really just pertain to Alabama. I'm not sure Ole Miss is good enough to, work the ball up and down the field on say a texas a&m or even some degrees mississippi state if they cannot run the ball at all or hell, arkansas that's probably the best example yeah. i think they have to have the run game going because it's important to their tempo because you know when they can pop off that 16 yard run and get up there and run another play within six seconds or whatever talk about wearing down opposing defenses and having them off balance to whereas. You know, the yesterday was a little different because Corral didn't have time to throw. But even if you're going up against an Arkansas defensive line, to whereas maybe they're not coming after him every time he drops back to pass, I- I'm not sure they're good enough to be one dimensional and just sit back and kind of pick apart defenses via the passing game because so much of their passing game is built off kind of sticking it in the running back stomach and kind of reading everything based off of that. Like it's not your, you know, spread it out and go through three, four, reads on every single snap so I thought that was the biggest lesson learned when Ole Miss can't run the football it's a it's a problem and I just wonder do you think that will kind of be something you'll see going forward where as weird as it sounds with corral at quarterback teams will just put six seven in the box out to stop the and run and just kind of dare Ole Miss to beat them going up and down the field through the air
0: well I think you'll see it next week I mean this this Arkansas team runs a very similar base scheme to what Ole Miss does, where it's a three-down lineman, two linebacker, six DBs deal. Um, and if you can't run on that, then you're going to have a real, real problem because they're going to give you looks and schemes that are going to be, you know, for the run game. They're going to want you to run. You're going to have to run them out of what they want to do well. And you know, I would assume Bama was going to do this. They had the same exact idea this week was we're just going to run you out of this three down line and look I never really got out of it I'm sure we'll talk about that but from just a versatility standpoint not being able to run the ball in this league as you've seen with LSU you just don't win football games and especially with the way they do it with all the tempo all the misdirections, some RPOs it's it's just such an incredibly important proponent to this offense <laughs> sorry about that Plane going in the background. Uh, I'm outside. Uh, but that that's everyone says it and now. It's kind of like a cliche term, like, hey, this Lane Kiffin offense, Jeff Levy offense is about running the ball, and not just throwing it around the field. And everyone's caught on to it, I guess, but it's true. If you can't run it effectively and fit effi- just efficiently, you're you're gonna really struggle in this league.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned the the misdirection and the RPO stuff. I, I don't know what happened early on in the game, other than Ely getting stuffed on that fourth down, or maybe they just kind of saw how badly they were being beaten up front. But it's, there seemed to be, even when they tried to run the football in this game, there seemed to be less of the creativity with the misdirection and kind of some of the RPO stuff. I don't know if that's something you noticed kind of watching it yesterday or going back and rewatching through some of it today. I was just very, I guess, unimpressed would be the best way to put it. But a lot of times Ole Miss will have like – past games and really for most of this Kiffin era through 13, 14 games that it's been there'll be four or five run plays a game where it's like, I'm not some X's and O's savant, but that looked like a very creative concept, whether it's someone pulling or some sort of misdirection based off the pre-snap motion, there seemed to be a hell of a lot less of that yesterday. Did you notice that
0: at all? I did. I I don't know if that was an adjustment in game when they realized what was going on or if if they were kind of, confident in where they were at from an offensive line standpoint, running back standpoint to where they didn't have to keep incorporating a bunch of counters and different powers and unbalanced sets and whatnot that we've had seen. Yeah. I thought it was a little vanilla. Um, why? I don't know. I can't say they I mean, believe me, they've been on this game for two weeks. They were prepared for this game. Despite the outcome, like they were prepared. Were they prepared correctly? That's that's what we're here to talk about, you know. Uh, so it, it was interesting. I, I thought the whole game plan was very vanilla, and I don't know if that was just a an outcome of what happened on the first few fourth downs, or if that was the plan to going into it. But I, I noticed the exact same thing that you did.
1: I know this is like I don't like I'm not gonna pose this question to you as like a like dwell on your expertise type of thing, but just as a guy that watches a lot of football is the lack of counters in the creativity and some of the sl- maybe slower developing run plays where there's a lot of stuff to kind of get to the end result. Is that a product of them getting beat so badly up front? Like, is it, is it off base to say, I guess they were a little more timid to run counters or some of the more like pulling slower developing stuff, just because of how badly they were getting whipped off the initial snap at
0: the line of scrimmage. Does that make any sense I- at all? No, it does make sense. I I don't know if that's their thought process. I mean, some teams like for instance, 2019 LSU, people think it's the best offense ever. I, I tend to agree. I think 2020 Bama was pretty good too, but 2019 LSU with Joe Brady, they ran two running plays. They ran inside zone and they ran outside zone. That was it. That's just, that's what they did. That's their, that was their bread and butter. That's how they ran the football and they had a really good offensive line and a Hell of a creative running back to make it happen. Old Miss Wise, they are not so unsimilar. Where when you are running fast, you know, going up tempo. If you get that first down, you want to snap the ball quickly. You are probably running some version of inside zone. You are probably not running a counter play or a, a power or a slower developing, I guess you could say, play. When you are when you are speeding tempo, you are trying to get cheap yards, four or five yards. And I think if they Maybe look back at it. They're like, okay, maybe we should throw the ball a little bit more on first down. Maybe run it on second down. We'll probably get a different look. But when you can't, you know, get push, get lanes on inside zone, it's tough. And if you're just going to keep doing it, you know, it's a similar look. And it just didn't work at all yesterday. It doesn't mean it won't work in the future, but they got whipped.
1: Yes, they did. And, you know, that was another fascinating aspect of it. One of the other things I had written down based off their struggles to run the ball this is the classic kind of cliched narrative or whatever you want to call it. You know, remember when we talked a lot about in the preseason because they mentioned it at like two press conferences in a row about Ely getting more involved in the passing game. No, I don't even know necessarily if it's directly that, but I guess what I'm trying to get is they struggled to run the ball. But that first fourth down conversion, maybe it was the second one. I guess it was the second one because they went for three on the opening drive and didn't get the third and got the first two where they kind of ran that little quick hitting screen out to Parrish where they just let all everyone coming at them, you know, they kind of played on their aggressiveness a little bit. We didn't, I thought that was a really nifty play call. Clearly it worked. And if there was ever a time to maybe kind of manufacture some pseudo running yards by doing some stuff like that, whether it's with Ely with Parrish, I was a little surprised they didn't do a little more of it because clearly those guys were just kind of pinning their ears back and like, we're about to whip these dudes up front every time and get in the backfield. I just didn't think they, at least tried to maybe punish them for their aggression a little bit. Cause the couple of times they did it, it worked, but they never seemed to do it at any consistent rate.
0: Right. There was, they, they tried it one more time in the second half, but it was like a third and 14 screen back to Paris. I think it was like almost the exact, it was the exact same play. Um, there was not a lot of these, the outside quick hitting wide receiver screens. You see a lot with, with what Ole Miss will do and, Even when Baylor used to play, I mean, they had those Corey Coleman, like, you know, those outside, basically, it's just a a flip out, those bubble route screens, um, wide to the receiver. They did a little bit more in the second half. Hugh Freeze, for all of his faults, was really able to manufacture nonsense running plays and screen plays because to make up for a lack of a running game. And I thought that they probably needed to go to maybe a a format like that in the second half or early in the first half, really, because what the situation was instead of just running inside zone and trying to, you know, win man on man. But there was not a lot of creativity from a getting short yard standpoint, I would say. And I think they're going to have to look at that and and realize that that's something they're going to have to adjust to if this offensive line plays the way they do you know, in the future.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And that's probably as good a transition as any, just to get into the whole both fourth down decision-making and fourth down play calling. I know that was a huge hot topic after yesterday's game. And, you know, you hit on this point a couple of times before the season and, or I guess it was actually mostly after the Louisville game with kind of the differences in these running backs and particularly kind of contrasting Jerry on Ely and Snoop Connor from like a running to contact standpoint. Well, you saw it rear its ugly head a little bit on that third, fourth down of the first drive, the one they get stopped at the five-yard line. You know, clearly, they didn't get a push. If you go back and watch that play again, they got kind of knocked back pretty good off the line of scrimmage. Corral's trying to push um, Ely forward. And, again, as like a five-foot, six, 145-pound guy who just does a podcast and a newsletter, it feels silly saying this but Ely got hit by that guy and just immediately fell down. Like if he falls, they only needed to get, you know, three quarters of a yard. Like if he falls forward, there's a decent chance that he gets it, but he gets hit and immediately kind of falls over like a domino almost just straight backwards and straight down. Was there anything surprising to you about, I guess, that in particular and the use of the running backs? Because we didn't see Snoop Conner, much at all until the second half. I think he got one drive in the third quarter or in the second quarter. If I'm not mistaken, I'll have to go back and double check that. But I just don't really understand using Ely of all people in those fourth and short and third and short yarded situations, because I know Paris isn't even a bigger guy, but you talk about a dude that can make one cut and get like, you know, teleport almost like a yard and a half in one direction. He almost to me would be a more confident option at this point than Ely. What were your just thoughts on how they use the running backs
0: in those particular situations? I thought that was bizarre. I think the way they use them is you, you can't sub them. So when you're going through this whole deal and you're at fourth and one, like you can't sub the guy in if you're going to do this up-tempo, cheap yardage kind of deal. So that's why they're not in the game. It's not because they don't think Snoop is a better, you know, fourth and one uh, option than Ely. It's just he's in the game. They're trying to go quick. They're trying to do what they need to do. Um, I, I don't disagree with your whole point, though. I think Parrish and Snoop need to get more carries. I, I really do agree with that. I think especially if you're not going to really use Ely as a receiver as much as they have been, then at some point you got to look at the stats, look at the players, the body of work this season, and be like, why is, why is Parrish and Snoop – why are they not on the field more? You know, they've, they've got to adjust, I think, their carry count. I think they might have ended up similar. If we look back at it, I don't have the stats in front of me, but when the game was a game, it, it was only Ely and he was not getting anywhere against those guys. That was tough. And that's what kind of
1: like, that's the weird part because Neil and Chase actually made this point on the post game show last night during the like segment that I called in. What kind of like murks up this whole running back management thing is that you'll see them go to snoop a lot more in the second half. And then you'll see Parrish play a lot more as you kind of get into the game third and fourth drive of the game. And so Ely's snap count is like, when you go look at it from the pro like at, whether it's the pro football focus or wherever you can get snap counts on each of the old Miss games, like he's not playing a ton of snaps but he's playing a lot of significant ones in significant moments when those other guys seem like they could be better utilized. And so that's what kind of makes it such a bizarre situation. Cause it's like, I agree with you. I think you're exactly right. I, I think Connor and Parrish need to see more carries and more touches, which obviously, you know, the broader version that is playing more, but if you just look at it on the surface from a sheer snap count perspective, it actually is kind of even, but that doesn't really tell the story. And so that just kind of makes it like, to me, that just adds another confusing wrinkle of it to me, But, you know, maybe we'll see a little bit more of that because I don't, like, you know, if you're worried about the offensive line and kind of what you're doing in short-yarded situations, like, why not fire your best bullet and at least get Snoop out there? Because I don't remember who hit Ely, but, I mean, this is a silly way to look at it, but don't you think there's better odds that Snoop either stays on balance or falls forward and gets that than Ely just falling straight to the ground? That seemed like out of four guys, Matt Corral included, you could have carrying the ball on fourth and two or less. Like, to me, Ely like would be the comp like the fourth most confident if I'm ranking them. Yeah, no, I, that's
0: not crazy. Uh, I'd like to see them. So uh, let, let me step back a little bit. We we talked before this game about the fourth down stuff, and I'm sure we'll discuss it a little bit more on this podcast. But I said before the game, and you know I'm not the smartest person in the world, but that it was this game could be decided by how they do on fourth down. I was like, if they, if they go two of seven. I got it's several difficult. texts about that, though, patting you on the back yesterday. The people, people noticed your take on that, so congrats. That is much appreciated by those who listen. <laughs> but it really, it turned out exactly how I kind of thought it would. I do think Lane Levy would probably, well, they're much smarter football people than me. This is just from an outsider's view. If we're going to do the fourth down deal, the analytics deal, which you should, that nothing they did yesterday was wrong, in my opinion, and we can get into that. I don't think they made any mistakes in the calls. That's just how they do it. If you're going to do it, you do it 100%. You don't fall back on emotion. You just go with it. Um, but you don't necessarily have to go up-tempo fast on fourth down. You know, you can – Yes. It gives them time to sub. I get that. But get, get your guys in there. It's, it's a players-not-plays thing, and Levy knows that more than everybody – if you're in fourth down on the one yard line with the five yard with, on the five yard line fourth and one, let's let's get our right formation. Let's get our right personnel out there, and let's run the play that we think is going to work. You know, give it to the player who you think makes you gives you the best chance to win, gives you the best chance to get it. Instead of just being like, okay, you know, here's our play. It's fourth down. Let's go. Because honestly, I have not seen a whole lot of overly creative play calling on the fourth down, except for that screen to to perish so they're kind of just rolling through the playbook it looks like it's a great point and to
1: add on to what you're talking about one that was going to be my kind of my first like retort to you talking about like the reason they're not in there is because they don't want to sub like that makes sense that reasoning makes sense but like to your point like would you not rather have you know the best possible option to tote the football in that? you know, crucial situation rather than just trying to catch them off guard with the tempo aspect of it. And I think that kind of reared itself to be true. Like the point you just made, if you needed like video evidence of that, is it not the fourth down on the second drive or the third drive, whenever it was where I can't remember who caught the ball just short of the line to gain, but Ole Miss didn't even huddle. They got up to the line very quickly and got up to the line of scrimmage, looked over at Kiffin and clearly there was a ton of dialogue about what they should do and what they should like formation they should be in. And they switched guys and then Drummond ended up coming to the H back slot. And so they wasted, like I say wasted, they used 15 ish seconds kind of trying to communicate with the sideline to get in the right call where it felt very rushed. It ended up being the one where Corral gets flushed out to the left and then just throws up the prayer, like eight yards down the field out of bounds to Braylon. Like, Are you really catching them off guard when you're taking that much time to switch up what you're doing? I guess kind of adding to your point there, it seems like you would better be you'd be better suited using that 12 to 15 seconds to sub get the right play in rather than just trying to catch them off guard because it looked unnecessarily rushed and disjointed and boy was the result a disaster.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree, but I guess an important point is this is all moot if they could block Alabama. That's
1: also true. That yeah. Everything we'll say after that, like <laughs> uh, talking today,
0: is moot because there's no scheme for not being able to block. It's like, who cares is that running back if you can get a block on one of these defensive linemen because, you know, they'll just be in the end zone instead of having to worry about if they're going to fall forward. But you are correct. And you, I think the point about, you know, that communication from the sideline, it happens all the time. But if you're going fast and then getting to fourth down and being like, oh, crap, okay, here we go. We know what we're doing. We're going to go for it. Let's let's get the play in. But why don't you just get the personnel in, too, at that point? You know, just get the guys you want in the game in the game and see where it goes from there. I mean, I know – and like I just said, you know, the, the play didn't work out because Corral was scrambling for his life. But maybe if they have a different deal in there, it works a different way. It, it's a lot of hear, hearsay, a lot of 2020. But there was definitely – a a thought process and mindset about those fourth downs I don't know if I loved not the calls like go for it I'm all for it but just kind of the execution of how they were going about the fourth downs my I would look at it if I were them which I'm not so who cares but still (laughs) and that gets into the decision making aspect
1: of it where I made the mistake of So Lane Kiffin kind of called this in his opening press conference and I can kind of see both sides of this. I say opening press conference. I mean, the day he got hired where someone asked him a question about his use of analytics in football or whatever. And he talked about how, like, you know, get ready to rip me, I think was his actual quote, talking like to us media types about, you know, there will be times where people will be upset with it because the outcome is not desirable, but he's, you know, trusting the numbers and the analytics and the process. And he reiterated that a little bit in his post game press conference yesterday. But what I'm confused about in that sense is, is it, I'm not doubting that he's looking at analytics and there's numbers that tell him what to do it, but the the analytics seem to tell him to go for it every single time. In fact, the one time he didn't go for it was the one I didn't understand. You were down 28 to nothing or 35 to seven or whatever it was, had fourth and less than a yard inside your own 10. Like, why not go for inside? Yeah, their own 10. Why not go for it there? Like the game's pretty much over. Like, you're kind of just hoping – I mean, you have to score on that drive to have any sort of a prayer, and a punt is definitely sure. waving white flag. That was what I didn't understand. So I get – I agree. I didn't disagree with any of his decision-making, but is it like, – I, I find it also that it could be possible he's hiding behind the whole analytics thing every time because he's just going for it every single time. Like, do you think the analytics are telling him that every single time, or there's part oh. of it just like, the hell with it, we don't want to punt back to these dudes?
0: So when everyone says, like, the buzzword, you know, analytics, it's it's the book. And uh, he's mentioned it and he's talked about it. And uh, we used to help set up the book for every game. They, they look at the book. I mean, Matt Lindsay has the book on the sideline. That's like it's kind of his game day job is he's out there with the book telling Lane, you know, when it's third down, like, the situations are what's going to happen when it comes up to fourth down. The book doesn't always tell you to go for it. It does it does not. And there might have even been times in the first half where it said, don't go for it. But that's but most of the ones the first half will probably go for it. I, I really do think so. Time, situation, score, and just you know, fourth one, fourth and two, trusting your players, all that combination with the numbers, the math is ends up probably going for it more than not. But it doesn't say to go for it every time, even though they are that that doesn't. It's not directly correlated. Um, I think that's just what he wants to do, the way he wants to play. And I think his post-game press conference really kind of explained everything you needed to hear about it. You know, you do not they weren't doing that because it was, it was at Alabama. All the, you know, Twitter heads were on, you know, everybody and their mom was saying that, like, Kiffin was coaching on tilt. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's out of his mind. But they're, they're all – they have no idea what they're talking about. He would do this if it was Austin P. if it was Tulane, if it was Liberty when they play him next, LSU, Auburn. It doesn't matter the opponent, the stage. He wasn't doing this as some FU to Nick Saban and trying like so, so hard to win this game. He was doing it because that's what they've adopted scheme-wise. That's what they want to do. They look at the book. They think about it. They see what the numbers say. He makes the final decision. They have a quarterback who's still the best in the country. And they just go about it. There is nothing wrong with really any of the decisions they've made on the on any fourth downs. It's just how they're going to do it. And the fans, got, you just kind of have to get used to it. You don't. You can't just bitch and complain because the outcome wasn't what you thought it was going to be. That's just the game The game plan. I mean, Scott Lee, if you would have watched some of the LSU coaching decisions over the past few weeks, when they're punting the ball and kicking 50-yard you know, field goals, you'd be like, thank God we have this guy. And he actually knows what he's doing. Unlike, you know, Mike McCarthy lying to NFL media saying he was studying analytics in his mom's basement (laughs) before he got the freaking Cowboys job. Like this is the real shit. We actually know what we're doing. And just because it doesn't work out doesn't mean it's wrong.
1: What is the book? Like, as best as you can or able to describe it, when you say what is the book, what is that? What is the process of, like, creating it? What is the book? How would you describe that to someone that would have no idea?
0: Well, if I was better at my job, I probably would have been around the book more and uh, actually wanted to put it together. Uh, Matt, Matt Lindsay usually had some of the Shark Tank guys or whatever the hell they're called now uh, put it together. It's just a quarter-by-quarter, drive-by-drive time situation. It's actually incredibly complicated, and it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of information. It's a lot of numbers, a lot of scenarios. It's really just like a scenario book. Um, And they have it and he's reading through it. It's, it's a, it's a pretty big job on that sideline to do it. Um, The ins and outs of actually what's in the book is really just scenarios of what do we do? Third down, fourth down. What do the numbers say? What's the win like uh, the win probability, the likelihood you'll get it and like just time situation scenario. That that's all the book is. And it's, it's very complicated and it's a lot. It's a big, it's a big ass book. Look on the sidelines when you're watching the next game and see if you can see Matt Lindsay. I'm sure he has it. And if he doesn't have it, maybe Alex Collins has it these days. I don't know who does, but um it's uh it's what they go by. It's it's they're not the only ones to ever read this thing. It's not the Bible, it's not football Jesus. It's, it sounds uh, cooler
1: than the Bible. Sorry, I'll probably <laughs> go to hell for saying that, but these the mystique through which we're talking about this book is kind of awesome. I won't spend 40 minutes on this i promise god i have so many questions about that who create is this book a creation of Ole miss or is this something no, they no, no, got no, no, from no.
0: somewhere what is how does it's, this work it's a it's a company i think a company has all of the uh the ip and uh maybe for the next podcast i'll call matt and ask him a lot about the book and i can give better answers um it's not an old Miss creation, a Lane Kiffin creation. It's it's a company that does it, and they kind of week by week, you know, kind of put it together for the game plan, and then use their numbers and analytics and whatnot to uh, formulate how they're going to decide what to do. So but it's, it's but it's way more than just fourth down. That that is a very you know that's a part of it, but a lot of it it's like towards the end of the game, like should we let them score? You know, do where do we get the field goal from? You know, is this an onside kick moment? It's It's got a lot of different influences more than just fourth down. And a lot of that stuff is way more important than just deciding when you're going to do a fourth down. You know, it's about, like, when do you call the timeouts at the end of the half or in game? What's the clock looking like? You know, what can we do here or there? Like, spike it or go? You know, it, it's a lot more than just fourth down. Okay.
1: So – that's kind of where the confusion is. You talk about like all the like Twitter talking heads or whoever talking about how, yeah, I, I, is that a new word? There's a new uh, slang word amongst the use that pops up every like nine months that don't fall out. It seemed like Tilt, had, that's the first I'd heard of that used in that context Day, uh, If you remember correctly, Tilt was my ticket to get into Jersey Thursday back in the day, <laughs> RIP
0: to Tilt. Barry Taylor would be proud. The <laughs> Tilt master himself.
1: Oh, uh, I still have a rubber tilt shot glass that I got from Goose Moss. So shout out to Goose Moss. I didn't figure he'd come up on this podcast. RIP to the real tilt. I didn't understand. Like, I it was hilarious hearing people talk about that as if it's something new. Because you're talking about, of course, it's not because it's Alabama. And, of course, people that don't. The only people saying that, in my opinion, other than fans, I guess, that were mad. but Like, media types, the only people where they were saying that are the ones that don't watch Ole Miss every day. Because this is not new. This is not something they haven't done. Kind of adding on to your point, I think there's probably a lack of nuance or maybe a little confusion on the whole he's coaching that way because it's Alabama versus he's not going strictly by the book. Like, I think there's a difference between the two things. Like, he's not adhering strictly to the book because it's Alabama, but I don't think he's also, like you mentioned, going by the book at the same time. And I guess the evidence I would propose to suggest that is You mentioned it being a big book, a lot of scenarios. Well, what did we just talk about? We talked about them going in a hurry to try to catch opponents off guard. There's no way they would have time to kind of reference the book every single time and make a sound decision off that while getting a play in in like nine seconds. Like, unless they're doing it way ahead of time, right? There's no
0: way they can reference that every single time. No, they they do it ahead of time. You're you're kind of looking at, you're going through it, reading it on like second down. You're like, all right third down, here we go, here's where our situation will be on fourth down. It's probably relaying to everyone's headsets, like, hey, fourth and two we're going, fourth and five we're punting. That, that's how it is. It is ahead of time. It's not like, okay, it's fourth and two, let me flip to the page where I can figure out what we should do here. It, it's it's ahead of time. They're, they're practicing ahead of time. But um, back to the point on Alabama and going for it because it's against them, if you remember against Indiana in the bowl game, they punted the ball and kicked field goals a ton. And Kiffin, after the game, I think I remember him saying that even when the book told them to go for it, he was just kind of reading the room, kind of the the, the game, the defense was playing well, didn't have a lot of guys out there like Ely and Elijah and whatnot. So he kind of went against it. He's like, you know, we're going to kick some more field goals, punted a little bit more than we probably would usually do, but that's just the scenario of the game. And Alabama was no different and no other game for the, as long as he's coaching football will be different. He will do this to the T with all of the analytics and whatnot for every single opponent. It doesn't matter who, when, or where. And
1: so the last thing we'll kind of spend on as far as the fourth down part of it was the thing you said at the very beginning was I didn't disagree with any of them. I'm right there with you. The decision to go for it. I didn't disagree with any of them. Actually the, like I mentioned a second ago, The only one I actually disagreed with and not that it really mattered, but you were down 28 points or down 21 or whatever it was in your own territory. It's like, you know, Gary Danielson was like, you know, maybe he just doesn't want to demoralize his guys. It's like, who gives a shit? Like, at least like, you know, you still have a mathematical percentage of chance of winning the game at that point. Like, why not at least try, what do you have to lose? Who cares? Like that would be the final nail in like the win percentage coffin if you didn't get it. But that was the only one I disagreed with. So I'm with you. I didn't disagree with any of them because of how the defense was playing, because that's kind of what they've always done, and two, they they were never going to win this game not scoring on any of their first four possessions. If you told me before the game, Ole Miss is not going to score on either of its first four or five possessions, whatever it turned out to be, I would have told you they lost and it wasn't close. And what happened? They lost and it wasn't close. So I didn't disagree with it either. And so I put something out there on Twitter. This was a point I got started on a second ago before i got sidetracked which uh, you've done enough podcasts with me now that's pretty much just how this shit goes he mentioned this in his opening press conference talking about like get ready to rip me or whatever and you saw those like takes not that they matter on the internet and everywhere kind of manifest itself where people are mad at it happening where one this is not new but like i put out something regarding that kind of being a smart ass and it just got to the point where there's no nuance in it like i had some guy argue with me about like you media types never want to criticize Kiffin. The play calling has been terrible. It's like, dude, can you read? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the decision to go for it on fourth down is correct. I agreed with said random Twitter asshole. Like I didn't think the play calling was great, but those are two different things. And so I didn't disagree with the decision-making, but the way they played in, like you mentioned, tempo is another aspect of it. And then to me, the third one where they ran the little like not lateral option corral did lateral where they ran laterally the option play instead of running it at them that to me was the most concerning part and if you didn't already know at that point that's when it was like okay this is not going to go well for the mighty rebels today they are scared to run straight at them because they're getting whipped that was one of the more telling plays of the game to me so i thought the decision making was fine but the play calling was not great and that gets into a, a whole nother area where it's like you know, who am I to sit there and, like, question Kiffin and Levy's play calling? I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But yeah. just naked eye, it seemed like yesterday they were a little bit flustered to a degree from a play calling standpoint with how they were beating – flustered is the wrong word. They seemed like they didn't necessarily where, know where to go next once they realized how badly they were getting beat.
0: Right. You're, everything you said is correct. You know, these things aren't mutually exclusive, the play calling and, you know, going for it. They're the right decision we can question the outcome because of the play calling which is I guess you and I's job doing this we're not they know exactly what they're doing these people are really good at their jobs and we've seen that for the majority of time there at Ole Miss yes. <laughs> we're not questioning that they don't know what they're doing all we're saying is at some point after it doesn't work maybe there's got to be a thought process of is are we, we're doing the fourth down thing, short yardage. We don't trust our offensive line. Like, what's next? You know, you, like you just said, what, what's next when it comes to this kinds of stuff? Is there some adjustments to be made? They're probably it's, – it's such an overused term. This whole idea that you're just going to go into halftime and make, like, these ridiculous game-changing adjustments on both sides of the ball is ridiculous. It's just not how it works. They just couldn't block them. And they couldn't block them. They couldn't get these fourth down calls. These guys are incredibly smart. It just didn't work out. That, it's as simple as that.
1: I wish I had looked this up before, the, uh, before we did this podcast, and I probably will. I'll probably put it in Monday's newsletter, which may be out by the time some of you are listening to this. But your point regarding that made me think of something, and it was something I actually thought of yesterday as well. I'm not, like, excusing it or apologizing for the coaching staff on this behalf because it is their job to kind of know what's next but has this happened before has there been a game in the kiffin Lebby era where they've gotten whipped so badly up front that running the ball was not an option and it completely disjointed everything else they were trying to do uh you know hand up i was on a golf trip last year and was fresh off uh, a new starting this job in a layoff from like this whole sports media industry thing. And I didn't watch much of the Arkansas game last year. Um, Cause I had the preprinted pre-planned trip, but nine of the 10 games they played last year, I watched start to finish. So that may be the one, but in your, if you can think back, has this happened before? Have they gotten beat so soundly up front that they could not run the ball to the point of whatever they averaged 2.1 yards rush yesterday. Like to me, Maybe part of the reason they were a little off balance and not, not knowing what to do next was this hasn't happened yet. It didn't happen against Alabama last year, and I can't think of another time. Do you think that could have played into
0: it? Yeah, I think that's very fair. I, uh, th- I mean, Arkansas last year, I guess so. But I wouldn't necessarily say so. I think it's so hard to tell because of how bad the defense was last year. that just Yes. What they did on offense game plan-wise was probably a lot different than what they're trying to, you know, work on this year. But, no, I don't think it has happened where you haven't been able to run the football consistently. And by running the football consistently, it's all about efficiency. It's not about the yards. It's about are we getting four yards when it's third and three? You know, are we getting – five yards on first down, four yards on first down, not just running for 200 yards every game. That's not the point of what they're trying to do really. And sometimes that has happened because they've been able to do it pretty consistently, but no, I think that this was probably a little eye opener for the rest of the season on we're going to have to figure out how to adjust or have a plan in place for when it falls apart. Like it did on Saturday. Yeah.
1: That's a great point because you know, one of the things I had written down in this notepad from watching the game the first time where shit kind of went awry for this off. It's weird to say Ole Miss's offense worked at times yesterday, but there were drives that looked fine. You know, the opening drive was fine until they got down by the goal line, but when it was working and when it was fine was when they got into the second and fours and the second and threes and the second and fives where shit went awry yesterday was the second and nine or the second and 12. Like them getting off schedule screwed with them so badly and. You know, I'll go back maybe and look at it as I watch the rest of this game if I'm, I'm really bored tonight. But I'm just curious, like, how many of the drives that they scored on or got into plus territory versus they didn't, didn't include a second and nine versus how many of the punts or the turnover and downs included somewhere in the second to eight or second to 12 range. When they had an unproductive run on first or second down, seemed to really get them off balance, and they didn't necessarily know how to compensate for that. And the other aspect of it is not necessarily having a ton of time to throw and the receivers struggling to create separation. So yeah. it's kind of like a circular issue, which has is made yesterday so weird. So we have probably hit every angle of the whole fourth down decision-making, and as we kind of mentioned to cap it off perfectly, is you know, none of that really matters if you can't block. What did you think of how Corral played? Because I actually thought he was fine for the most part. I thought he played okay. He finishes like 21 to 29 or something for like 213 with a touchdown, no picks, had the strip sack or whatever that really put the nail in the coffin in the first half. But what was the shame in all of this was this was his chance to kind of have like the – national, not Heisman moment is so cliche, but really put himself on the map from a national standpoint if he had not already. And like seemed like everything crumbled around him more so than him doing anything. I actually thought he was pretty good.
0: Yeah, he played perfectly fine. You know, he didn't have a lot of time to throw – the explosive plays just kind of weren't there for him. He had a fine game. And Kiffin said so after the game. I watched his interview before we before we recorded this. Uh he said the same thing. He was like, you know, this this sounds a little weird, I guess, but <coughs> excuse me. Uh Corral played fine. <laughs> he was like 23 of 30 for 280 yards, had a rushing touchdown and a throwing touchdown, I think. That might be close to the stats. I'm I'm not a big stat guy. I don't ever really look at him, which is a problem. Um he was on target not really very many errant throws i thought that uh i guess it's kind of a random point but that intentional grounding call on him was total bullshit
1: it was that didn't make any sense and there was a more egregious one on alabama that went uncalled two drives later
0: it's it's the same thing so this is a very off topic i guess of, of, you're rubbing off on me but so when <laughs> alabama do, when alabama does that and he throws the ball at the feet of the uh the lineman for a running back screen in concept that is the exact same thing corral is doing it throwing it over the heads of the receivers uh on that play they're they're two of the exact same plays just they look different because they're a screen pass and a regular throw all they're trying to do is throw it towards the area of the receiver but they know they're not getting it that was a terrible 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 call kiffin doesn't get mad at the refs a lot ever, really ever, you could see he was visibly pissed about that. But back to Corral, it's a shame that Bryce Young is now going to be seen as, like, a better quarterback and a better player than Corral because of how this game went. And, you know, the Heisman is as cool of an award as any in sports, and it has become an award full of bullshit in the past five or six years. It's going to the best player on the best team, and sometimes – The best player of the best team doesn't even win it like last year where Mac Jones should have won it. It's so media narrative based. The voters are full of shit. They don't care anymore. They're going to watch this game and see Ole Miss lost and not even realize that Corral was the only bright spot on the entire team. He played perfectly fine. They just couldn't do anything on offense, and they missed their fourth down calls. That's kind of sums up exactly what happened.
1: Yeah, you absolutely nailed it there. You're kind of catching on to this whole media thing ever since you started doing a regular podcast segment. It's the way we do everything. (laughs) It's the way the the MVP in football has become. You have dudes doing podcast segments after week two in the NFL about who's the early MVP leader. I mean, you had Russell – you talk about the whole – I mean, how many times on Sunday Night Football did it get mentioned last year that Russell Wilson's never received an MVP vote? It's like, it's September. Why are we talking about this? Same thing happens with the NBA MVP and everything else. The way this stuff is covered, and I think, like, take culture has – not tainted, but really just diminish the logical process in which some of these awards are selected. I think you're absolutely right in that. And not that it really matters, right? Like, none of this stuff matters in the end. Of course, Matt Corral will remember winning the Heisman for the rest of his life should he end up doing that. So, like, yes, it sucks for the kids in some ways, but, like, grand scheme of things, none of this matters that much. But I think you're dead on in that sense, where it's like that, like the way we do this and like, narrative-based, again, that kind of contradicts my whole uh, shtick I had last week about how, like, narrative doesn't necessarily mean it's untrue in this case everything about like whole heisman narratives and stuff is untrue so i agree but i thought he played fine yesterday and it's a shame that he had so much dysfunction around him because like what else do you want him to do i mean you know there's the whole can your quarterback elevate your team and kind of will you to a victory in a game you shouldn't win like that's all well and good to some degree but when you're not having the ability to set your feet and throw and like, they are not blocking for you and you have no run game that like that whole deal doesn't really apply. I don't know what else you could have asked for him, asked from him yesterday. Like to me, that was about as well as he could have played given the circumstances he was uh, dealing with one last point on the rushing thing before we get to the defensive side and then kind of some big picture stuff. The Ole Miss rushed the football for 253 yards against Arkansas last year. So that was not one of the games. I'm going to go back and kind of do a little bit more of a dive on that, but I just wanted to get that out there. I looked it up while we were talking. So this may be the first time that Ole missus really struggled running the ball uh, that badly. Anyway, I think we kind of covered everything offensively. The one last thing I had written down to kind of ask you was um, how much – well, two things. How much do you think Mingo being out affected things? I thought Jaden Jackson was fine, but, you know, he got a couple – at least one, I think, two of those kind of back shoulder – throws where you're used to seeing kind of mingo create separation because he's a bigger more physical guy and make the catch and that didn't happen clearly it didn't like you know change the out like would not have changed the outcome of the game but how much of a role do you think that played and how because kiffin hit on this on the press conference how significant is it to lose a guy later in the week like they did this was supposedly
0: happened wednesday or
1: thursday how how like tough is that to overcome
0: uh the first point yeah i mean it definitely hurt not having mingo out there um i saw some thread and i I had to comment on it because you know i I like to let people know vegas wise like mingo being out did not affect the spread of this game good point that's a good way to look at it or the outcome of this game that's just not how these things work um that's not how vegas works and that's not really how football works he is a very important player having those three guys out there makes defenses have to really focus a lot more but it's not the end of the world. Not having them out, not having him out there. He's he's very good, but it shouldn't change how this offense functions. He's a better player than the guys behind him, but the guys behind him aren't a bad players. And I think once Jaden Jackson gets settled in, Dan has had some bright spots. Braylon Brown gets healthier. If we actually lose Mingo for the whole season. They will have guys who will step up, and it'll look just fine. I'm just not that worried about it. Sucks for the kid, sucks for the team, but you have to be able to adjust. You have next man up. You can't use that as an excuse. One wide receiver does not determine the outcome of any of Ole Miss's games, whether it's Drummond, Braylon, or Mingo. It doesn't matter. But it is tough losing a guy on a bye week practice before the game. But you did. I guess it's happened on Wednesday. We heard. Somewhere around there, yeah. At least you know you don't have him. It's not a, you know, game-time decision deal. He he broke his foot on Wednesday. I'm sure he was at the doctor that night, and they knew exactly what it was. So Thursday and Friday, you just have to adjust. You have two days to get the guys mentally prepared, physically prepared, knowing that they're going to be playing in a different role. They probably – I mean, they're all taking the same amount of reps and practice. They know what's going on, and I don't think there was ever any schematic or, you know – role issues they didn't they all knew where they were at they all knew what to do are they as good as mingo maybe not at this moment but i think they can be if they settle in well um so it's unfortunate and it sounds like it could be a pretty bad one but uh i think everyone will be just fine one last thing
1: just because i want to pat myself on the back for this unless i have this wrong Yesterday, this doesn't have anything to do with what we were just talking about. We'll get back to the point in a second. I believe yesterday might have been the first time Ole Miss has rushed for fewer than 100 yards, and I think it's actually 120 yards, as a team in the Kiffin-Levy era. That seems significant.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the, the, the story of the game, I guess you could say, just in the beginning of the, in the first half. I mean, that's, that's very bad. That, that's not, this is a running the ball offense. And if you can't run it, you saw what happened today. It, it didn't look good at all.
1: For sure. So I just wanted to get out, out there. Cause I, you just kind of sent me down like a rabbit hole as we are here recording, as we kind of talked about that. But anyway, what you were talking about with the receiver thing, I do think it's tough, but I don't think it affected the game to your point. It didn't affect the line that should probably tell you everything. Let's get to the defensive side real quick. There's not a ton to discuss. Um, from like a game standpoint, this is like, it just kind of was what it was. I don't think it was overly shocking that Alabama came out and tried to run the football between the tackles against Ole Miss and make them stop it. I I think, you know, it doesn't take a football genius to understand that that was going to be the case. Um, It was very, you know, kind of the trendy thing to say yesterday on social media was that, that Alabama went pre Kiffin on Ole Miss. Like that was kind of the Alabama before they hired him. Right. And it's not wrong. Like it's, it's definitely true, but you know, once they became clear clear they did not have an answer for Robinson and McClellan. I know he ended up getting hurt with an injury. There wasn't a whole lot they could do with it. And look, like I mentioned earlier, there was never going to be a scenario where Ole Miss won this game not scoring on four consecutive drives. And it just so happened that that came on the first four drives. Of the game in Alabama got up twenty eight to nothing based off of it. If it had come in the middle of the game, it may have been close to an Alabama create separations. But there was no way Ole Miss was able ever going to be able to withstand an offensive drought like that. The defense was not good. I think we can get that out of the way. But at the same time, three of the four scoring drives that led to 28 points in the first half started in plus territory. They allowed the 95-yard drive to open the game. But if I'm not mistaken, that every other one – so you had the fourth down in plus territory that led to a score – you had the third one on the option play that led to a score. And then the strip sack led to a score. So that was the 28 points they scored in the first half. The one time Ole Miss punted the football and Alabama started on their own 25 or 30 or whatever the hell it was to the defense's credit. They got a stop when they were down 14 to nothing, which at the time when you're watching the game, you were like, hey, this is a big stop. Like they, they had to have that. I remember thinking, you know, if Alabama scores to make it 21 to nothing, this, this shit's over. So, right. I don't blame like this does not change my opinion that Kiffin made the right decision from a decision from like a decision making standpoint on the fourth down stuff. I'm just like, I'm a little conflicted on how to evaluate the defense. One, there are going to be teams that run them out of the three, two, six. We've talked about that before. We knew that moment was coming. I think we identified Alabama, Arkansas and A&M as potentially the three teams that would be the most likely to do that.
0: Yeah. They
1: clearly have to do something different. But what did you think of how the defense played yesterday? We'll just start the same way we did offense, a 10,000-foot view. Uh, clearly, it wasn't great, but they had moments of resistance. And, like, had the offense kept pace, they probably would have played decent enough to give them a chance. I didn't think it was the teetotal total disaster that it maybe seemed watching it the first time.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they could not stop the run. Um, it, it just – they were just getting bullied up front, which – with this three down lineman deal, if they're not superstars or really good players, that can happen. And they're not bad players. We have some decent personnel at the defensive line, but they, they really got bullied. Um, but I'm not going to say that they were total trash because um, I don't think that's necessarily true. They, they didn't give up a whole lot of explosive plays, which is what this defense is designed for. Um the DBs played all right. Uh, they, the Alabama receivers got a lot of separation, and they had some really good scheme to do that. It wasn't overly complicated, but uh, they, they played well. Uh, we got There was a, some pass rush was better than I thought it might have been here and there. They just couldn't complete the play. Uh, but I don't think that we are seeing the defensive last year. That – the defense of last year was maybe the worst in the whole entire all 140 whatever teams of college football. To add
1: on to your point, not to be the well, actually, I think they were literally 129th. Or 20th. Right, there's only really? 130 of them. Yeah,
0: well, we were. I was at the bar with some of the GAs one night, and I was trying to explain to them that like I've seen worse, and they're like, "No, no, no, you haven't. <laughs> like this is the worst. Like they are ranked last, but uh, they're getting better." It's just really tough when Alabama is playing with a lead like they had with short fields, like they had no pressure, no play calling pressure at all. I think Bill O'Brien called a pretty good game plan. Um, I think they had, they knew exactly what they were going to do. And uh, they ran it to perfection. They're incredibly good. Um, I don't think this is a reason to panic about the scheme at all. I think Kiffin made a decent point, maybe a, a patent DJ on the back a little bit or trying to help them out from a mindset-wise. But the Bama kind of had to earn their scores. You know, yeah, they they did run it pretty efficiently and pretty easily. But if you remember last year, it was like slicing butter. I mean, they got some third downs, some fourth downs, and, you know, they were short yardage and they couldn't adjust well. But I don't think that they were as horrible as maybe people watching the game would think. I think you nailed that. I think that
1: I don't even sure if like I was trying to think of a good way to articulate that. I, I couldn't agree more. It it was they had to earn it. There was some resistance, like you mentioned, slicing butter. It never really looked like that yesterday. Were there times where Robinson ran it up the middle, and it was like holy shit, he's just pumping through for twelve yards after they're trying yeah. to tackle him? Sure, yeah. but it didn't happen on every play. I think it's some of it's optics, but some of it's real as well. Like you've mentioned, like I've seen worse before, and it wasn't talking about last year's defense. last year's defense was certainly statistically worse, but there were times where that 2018 West McGriff defense certainly looked worse. It's the example I use all the time. If you listen to the show for a while, where the, how many times in 2018 did someone throw a ball out in the flats or something and the TV no screen there. couldn't panoram if they tried to find a defender. It's like, are they still playing? Did they stop the whistle? Why is there no one in the TV screen with this guy? So like there's differences in how it looks, even if the end result is not the same. And I think, think- that's probably talking about yesterday. I think you nailed it yeah. to where they didn't have to earn it. And this, uh, that would be tough. If Alabama was playing AM next week and a ms defense had to defend them on a short field on three of the four scoring drives. that's tough for a good defense. And we know this defense yeah. is not good. You're trying to ask them to be capable. And I thought there was, Some capability there yesterday. I'm not gonna sit here and say that they were good enough for Ole Miss to win the game, had the offense done its job. I don't necessarily believe that, but I don't think they were as bad as they were a year ago, which kind of personifies the offense. Well, not really doing its job. I'm not sure it would have mattered, but I just I feel like the defense caught a lot of shit for that performance yesterday, and some of it was justified, but some of it's like, what do you want them to do? Like there's no changing this 326. Like, that's probably the debate we should get into. Neil and Chase asked about this last night. Let's start this off with this before okay. we get into it. I've texted this to you before we started. Austin Keyes started as a third linebacker yesterday. You know a lot more about me than me about Austin Keyes and what his skill set is. What did you make of that? I just thought it was confusing. It appeared he started in place of AJ Finley, but for as much talk as there was about the 326, Ole Miss technically had three linebackers and five defensive backs on the field for part of the time yesterday.
0: Yeah. I, you text me that. I, that's interesting because I didn't really pay attention that closely to who was on the field on defense. I tried to, but when you, I didn't notice it, it today, when you brought it up, I was like, damn, you know what? He really was on the field a lot. And I haven't seen a whole lot of him and Campbell combinations. So that makes sense that there was three out there. A three-two-six is can be your base, but that doesn't mean you're playing it the entire game. You, you're probably going to keep the three-down lineman look because it's a lot more difficult to adjust to having four-down lineman and what's going on in the back compared to just flipping around what you got in the back with the three. But that that is interesting. I, I didn't know that until you talked to me about it. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more of him. Uh, he is a very physical player, he's a great downhill guy, he's young and still getting used to everything, he's grown into his body a lot, he looked really good um, in a no homo fashion, <laughs> uh, but I, I just, the, the, the idea that like these guys are running out there and like it's going to be two linebackers six DBs and three down linemen on every single play is just not how football works. That will be their base. That will be what they run their stuff out of. They will do it from different looks. But they they are going to adjust packages. You might have a dime package out there. You might have different personnel, which means different things. Um, But they're not going to just keep running three, two, six every single play. That's just not how football is is done. Um, Also, you don't just scrap your defensive game plan in the middle of the game. You can't do it. You don't have time. You don't have the ability to do it. So you kind of got what you got when you're going into the game. And I like like I've said, I just don't think they played that bad. I think they were put in a terrible situation by the offense just not having the ability to run the ball or get the fourth downs that they are going for. I mean, they only gave up seven points in the second half. It was, what, 42? So seven points in the second half? I mean, now
1: I don't know. some of that scores of the play con, but you're right. I don't think that's completely worthless. I don't think that's a completely worthless. No.
0: Order. It's not. I mean, you think Saban doesn't want to score a lot of points against Kiffin at Ole Miss? Uh, <laughs> that's not true. So they they finally kind of settled in. Yeah, they probably weren't as colorful and you know running out their scripted plays in the second half. Up 35, there was no reason to. But you can't just ignore it. You can't ignore they only gave up seven points and a half. Where. There was a lot less scrutiny and a lot less, you know, field position issues. It, it, it's a real thing; it has to be taken into account.
1: Yep, couldn't agree more. And so, like, so you talk about the adjustments and that not being how footballs played in terms of like they're not literally going to sit in the three-two-six the entire game. Yeah. What that probably is a great segue into this entire conversation about it is one, I guess, is some of that a product because I hadn't seen Austin Keys play close to that much, and I've tried to watch most. Every game twice that Ole Miss has played, you know, towards the end of Austin P, once they got in and Ken K. Dent got in and like th- those type of like moments and games. I'm not watching that a second time, I but I had not noticed them doing this with three linebackers on the field. And maybe it's a product of them not having to do it, right? The 326 actually was an incredible fit to stop Louisville. It yeah. didn't necessarily matter against Tulane or Austin P as much. And so I think your point about how that's just not going to be the case every time is probably something that will prove itself out now that they're actually playing real opponents every week. But to kind of transition that and spin it forward a little bit, this was something we talked about on the post game show last night how much adjusting and how much changing can they do? Because most of what we've seen so far is just who's on the field at linebacker, who's on the field on the defensive line, or who's on the field in the secondary versus having one more defensive line out there, one more linebacker. You get my point. As it specifically pertains to the defensive line, because I think that's the crux of this debate. Yes, they're going to be run out of the three-two-six at times, like they probably should have been yesterday, or maybe they were. I don't know if that was the reason for it. How much can they do? Because you're not getting a lot from those two Juco kids. We've talked about Aiton. He seemed to play more than Gordon. I don't remember if at all how much Gordon played yesterday. But when you go down the list, in terms of defensive linemen, this is just me being a media guy guessing, defensive linemen that they trust, I can only name four. And so if that's the case, like, how much adjusting can they do with as limited as they are particularly on the defensive line? Like, how much of this do you think is just kind of is what it is?
0: I don't think you're going to see them go into the Arkansas game and now all of a sudden have a different defensive game plan. Yeah, I don't think they had the personnel for it right now. I don't think – they might go in and be like put in a four-down lineman package. That's definitely an option – of, uh, hey, you know, we're, we're not being able to stop the run. Let's, uh, let's go put in at least a few kind of schemes for four down. But I don't think they're going to uh, completely blow up what they've been working on the all summer that until this game has actually been working very well. I, that's not, there's no reason to, to just take a step back from this game and be like, well, that didn't work against the number one team in the country on the road. It, you know, we didn't stop what we needed to do. Let's uh, scrap this and on to the next one. You don't have the time to do that. You can't just put in a completely new defense in one week to, to prepare for another team. You, know, you, you wouldn't do it. And I, I think they like where they're at. I think they know that they're have been don't break kind of defense. They don't have the Georgia personnel. You know, this team's a little bit less expensive than that one. Um, you can't just go out there and do change everything that you've been working on. And I don't think that they're playing bad. I think that they just need to tackle better need to probably force a few more turnovers, and just kind of offense has to carry this team to an extent. I don't think they're going to change much.
1: Yeah, and I know this this is playing the results, which I just kind of like shit on all those lazy people out there for doing, and so I don't mean to do this, but let's just for the sake of this point take out the strip sack. And I know the second half is different, but if you told – If I told you before the game Alabama scores 35 points, don't you give Ole Miss a pretty decent chance of winning the game?
0: Yeah, I would have. If you had told me before the game Bama scores – excuse me, Bama scores 35, I would have said Ole Miss is winning this game. And even if you said Bama scores 42, my answer would have been, well, I think Ole Miss is probably going to be in the game. It just didn't turn out that way. I I don't – but I don't think people should just be panicking should be saying that Kiffin's a bad coach, that this whole thing doesn't work because you lost to a team that is much better than you on the road. I know this is a huge game. I, in my opinion, this game was bigger than people made it out to be. I I thought this was an opportunity for Ole Miss to go in and, like, really have a chance to go to Atlanta and maybe even the playoff with just how this whole thing's uh, wrapping up with teams not being that good around the country. I thought this was a huge opportunity, which is why I was so – you know, I guess disappointed, frustrated with how it turned out. Um, but that doesn't mean that this can't be a successful season. That doesn't mean that you just scrap everything that's made you successful to this point after a loss like this. You, that's not how they will operate at all. They will get back up for it. People that think that they're going to come into this Arkansas game, like beaten up and sad and disappointed, have no idea how badly Kiffin wants to beat Arkansas. No, absolutely no idea. There will be no uh, – I guess, what's what's the typical word you use? Let down. Uh, let trap down. Game,
1: let trap, whatever you want to call it. I don't even call it a trap
0: game because Arkansas will still be ranked, but let down. Let down, trap game, those very big hard words that I, for some reason, can't remember. That will not happen for next week. It will not happen. He wants to beat them maybe as much or more than Alabama, just with the way last season's game went. I promise you that. So, we'll see. They'll adjust. They'll figure it out. I'm not that worried that this is all gonna go downhill from here.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of am with you on that. It is gonna be a bit of a gut check for both programs. And I think this is a good way to kind of put the Alabama game part of it to bed and kind of spin this forward before we bounce around yeah. to some other stuff. Is like they're gonna get the same test next week. It may not be a more like as, as potent of a version, but Arkansas is gonna to try to do the same things. I mean, hell, with Bryce Young at quarterback, Alabama had other options. Like, like you mentioned, their receivers got great separation. Uh, you're not about to face a team where that's all they can do. And yeah. you know, to some degree, maybe they—I'm not as that's near smart enough to tell you—but maybe to some degree they do it a little bit better because that's just kind of what they do, and that's all they do. Arkansas punishes you in the trenches, is what I'm trying to get at. And so I, they're going to see it next week, and how they adjust defensively is going to be fascinating to me because. Like we mentioned, they're not going to scrap this totally. That's just not really how this works or should work. No, there will be some adjusting, but I'm curious of the balance between how much they're able to adjust and how much they're going to kind of stick to what they are because this three, two, six thing is clearly personnel based. They felt like they had more playmakers in the secondary, a little bit more newfound depth, and it fit them a little better. And it is what it is at that point. Like, you're not, you know, you're not sprouting two more Sam Williams to come play for you in the second half of the season or something like that. Like you you're limited still in that sense. And that's a topic for another day regarding recruiting. But like, I'm just curious of what that looks like, how differently they look next week, but I tend to fall in line with you. I I think they're going to play much better next week. And I think they're probably going to win. I know that probably sounds like a little sunshine pumpy at this point, that maybe not what people want to hear, but I mean, if they can block it all, they'll still end up being fine offensively. And can Arkansas score 30 points on this defense? No. I don't yeah. think they can. And yeah, even not, as badly so- as they played against the run. So we'll see. But I kind of agree with you on that. I, I think I think it'll they'll play well. But don't you think next week's a massive game for both programs in terms of like to me, I look at this and it's like you're gonna learn a lot about both programs next week, where they're actually at versus where both of them think they're at, because they're That's- both ahead of schedule.
0: That's the perfect way to say it. It's like, where are you really at at this point? Where is Ole Miss? Where is Arkansas? I like that matchup for next week. I think it works a lot of things in Ole Miss's favor. Arkansas is going to try to really slow the game down a little bit, even though they do run – Kendall runs a very kind of similar offense, but they know what they are. They know that they can't make this a possession game because it will not go in their favor. Um, Corral's is making so much better decisions. I'm very confident in how this game's going to turn out, but people are devaluing Arkansas every single week. I know they got their ass kicked by Georgia, but uh, this is a very good football team. It's not going to be some rollover game for Ole Miss, and it'll be a, a good test exactly like you said on uh, where both these programs are at and where they can go this year.
1: It was kind of a predictable result with Arkansas, right? Like, that to me was never a good matchup for them. We talked about this last week, like when they can kind of face teams that don't have, I guess that's not really what I was trying to get at. I think they're better suited for an a that's good enough defensively, but kind of doesn't really have much of a potent offense where I think George's offense has actually been kind of much maligned. They had a bunch of dudes out when they were playing Clemson. If you look at the receivers they had available in that game, it wasn't their full complement of guys. And hell, I mean, they scored 37 with the backup quarterback like this past week. I think they're much better offensively than they showed against Clemson, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. So when you have someone that's more capable offensively, like Arkansas doesn't match up. If Arkansas has to score 30 points to win a game, and that means their defense allowed 24 and played well to like an Alabama or Ole Miss type, I just don't think. That they're able to win games like that. And so I think that's going to kind of fall squarely on Ole Miss's shoulders. I think if Ole Miss scores 35 points offensively next week, they win the football game. If they right. struggle again, like they did today, I, they did yesterday and can't run the ball, then you're having a whole different conversation. But it's a fascinating game because it's a gut check. And I imagine, I think this has been announced. It, I'm assuming it's at 11 a.m. You know, they flexed it to 2 30. I would guess it's 11 a.m. Maybe I'm wrong on that wouldn't be the first time, but like they're going to, it's going to be a bring your own energy type of day to use a coaching cliche. So that part I'm fascinated with. Let's, uh, I didn't really have any other takeaways in this game. Ole Miss did in short spurts kind of put some pressure on Bryce Young. It was not consistent enough to matter. I mean, when it mattered, he had time to throw, I think they did register three sacks, but I don't know. I think, I think the other aspect of this, probably the last thing to hit on. Do you think this game would like affected Kiffin at all from the sense that I don't think the fourth down decision making was emotional based based on who he's playing, but you kind of saw a bit of a flair about him that you didn't see the whole throwing the headset off, get your popcorn thing. Like to me, if he's smart, this game should humble him a little bit, but do you think there was anything to the fact that he wants to beat Alabama worse than anyone? And that maybe showed up uh, really just in mannerisms and nothing else. Maybe it showed up in the play calling and how he kind of conducted himself this week, but do you think there's any like merit to that at all?
0: I think there has to be at least a little bit of merit given to that. I mean, this game is obviously very important for him. Um, I think there isn't case case to be made that they were a little bit too overconfident going into the game with how they were doing things, and that might have led to them having a little bit more of a vanilla play calling because they just thought that they were going to be able to do what they do against them no matter who's out there. Um, I, I'm, I'm not worried about him. I think it's probably was humbling for the entire team. And he even said it after. He was like, "This might even be good for us to an extent." You know, you kind of know where you're at. You know, what, that you can't just come out here. You're like, you have to play well every single game to win. We're not good enough to not do that. Um, so I'm going forward. I think everyone will realize how much harder they have to work, how much more detail they have to play with, because that just talent wise, you know, you can scheme up as long as you want. Players make plays, and you know they have to be able to uh, play as perfectly as possible to win the SEC. It's hard. Yep. Just a couple
1: of last random notes I had before he bounced around the SEC, talking about the defensive side of it. Like there's still a world where this ends up as a top 75 defense, don't you think, statistically? And that's what yeah. we were talking about preseason. If they're top 60-ish or in that neighborhood, Ole Miss had a really good year. And I don't think them having this day changes that. You know what I mean? Like I think there's there's still enough there for them to be competent defensively. Uh, they just face one of the best running backs and one of the better offensive lines and one of the better, you know, talented teams in the sport, I think just kind of is what it was. The other thing I'm interested in is if Mingo is out for an extended period of time, they are going to need someone to step up there. Like they're not going to be able to survive without some sort of other threat on the other side. So how that plays out is fascinating to me. Any other lasting thoughts, whether it's related to those two things that you had on this game, I think we just about covered it.
0: Yeah. I think we've covered most everything that you can, Regarding this game, it's just kind of on in the next one, really. Um, Receivers wise, I think you're going to see a lot more young guys play. And that's probably a good thing. It's kind of exciting. You like to see new guys in there. Uh, I mean, Mingo has been great this year and that's it's unfortunate for the team and him and whatnot. But I mean, someone's going to have to step up and who is it going to be? Jaden Jackson, Danish Jackson, Quay Davis. Haven't seen a lot of him at all. He must not be really coming along like I thought he would have. Uh, no Plumley. I did know. We, so to me, we that has to, that's a, a great Plumlee? point. I'm
1: glad you brought that up because I was going to.
0: I honestly swear to God, I didn't think of it until you just said someone's got to step up. I did not see a, a snap of Plumley. did we?
1: But no, I, I don't think so. I'll look at, I think the Rebel Grove will have the pro football focus stats out, which is why you subscribe rebelgrove.com. I don't think so. To, to me, if there was ever a time to use that, as I actually said this last night on the game deal, if there were ever time to use him, it's last night, right? Like this thing is put to bed at this point in terms of him being a significant contributor as a wide receiver, because right. if they ever needed him, it's last night. like right? right. When, when else would you have the, op? like they almost were like forced into doing it if they wanted to do it, but were timid to me, that kind of shut the book on
0: that a little bit. Do you think that's off base? I think that's fair. I don't know. I honestly had not even thought of that until we were talking through this, I guess, bad on me or whatever. Um, I don't know why he wasn't out there. I mean, there was no reason for him not to be able to have a little wildcat package here or there, or you know, some of the uh, some of the sprint zones they've been running with them, some of the uh, screens and whatnot. I don't, I don't know jet sweeps. That that's crazy. I did not even think about that until this. We don't need to hash on it too much. He's clearly not a massive part of this team's playbook, and maybe he should be. Um, but yeah, that that was kind of a weird development that I just we just thought of well to your point about freeze being able to kind of bs
1: like kind of a pseudo run game through like screen stuff like that seemed to be maybe a decent way to do it if you could right like kind of get him in space at least he's fast like that would be a way to to compensate for just getting absolutely shit pumped in between the tackles every play but again i don't know like I, i feel always weird like questioning the play calling but it's just I don't know something I thought of, like if you're ever going to kind of BS it, like you mentioned, like Freeze did with Jalen Walton and some of those guys, it seems quick enough to definitely do that. But I don't know, we'll see. Uh, last thing I did have, I did want to ask you about this. Um, uh, from what you saw from Braylon Brown as a prospect, I'm just assuming he's not healthy because the way that he was talked about early on in camp, it seems like if he were available and healthy, he would have probably played. Do you agree with that? I know we don't know, we're purely speculating here, but. The fact that they were playing Dennis and Jaden, I just figured the way they talked about that kid, if he were fully healthy and they felt comfortable playing him, he would have played yesterday. So that tells me he may be still injured. I don't know how that. I don't know. I don't know the deal on that.
0: Yeah, I would assume so. I would assume he's still just not there yet. Um, also, just a true freshman wide receiver on the road against Alabama. You know, that's that's not the easiest place to begin your college career also with significant true. playing time. He's also a true freshman who probably hasn't grasped the offense as much as Dennis and Jaden have and Jaden, Danis and Jaden are also very good competent players who can break out if need be. So I think it has to be a health deal. I would imagine, but those guys are good options as well. No doubt. Let's bounce on
1: the sec. We'll have more time to talk about this Arkansas deal over the course of the next week. We kind of covered it with Arkansas, Georgia, any final thoughts? Georgia may very well be the best team in the country, um, holy how I just actually looked this up. If I have this right, uh, Georgia scored 37 points. Stetson Bennett was seven 11 for 72 yards.
0: Are you serious? Yes.
1: He, he, <laughs> unless ESPN has a, something wrong. He was seven for 11 for 72 yards. No touchdowns, no picks.
0: Yeah. I actually think, think that, might, I actually think that might be wrong. I, I kind of vaguely remember him having some, some longer throws, but regardless, he ain't the reason they're winning football games. That defense is real. It is real on all three levels. They play elite. They are elite. They are probably the best defense of the last five or six years, and there haven't really been a lot of elite defenses over that time. Um, LSU obviously made their pay by scoring the ball in 2019, but just by sheer athletes, that defense was actually really good and did not get the credit it probably deserved. I know everyone thought they sucked because Plumlee like pulled the game of his life out of his ass, but that, that defense was real and it was very talented. Um, Georgia. I mean, they are so physical. They are fast. They are sound. I mean, Kirby's basically on the field with them the entire time, like screaming in the DB's ears, what to do every play. But they're, I mean, like I said earlier, they're an expensive defense. Uh, they they've earned their stripes, uh, and their paychecks. It's uh, they're really good. They're 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 good as shit.
1: The uh, so I would just say Georgia's football website. Their S so their SID had to manually punch these in because I unfortunately know how that process works. Says he was seven eleven for seventy two yards. That's insane. But yeah, you're right. They're not. He's not the reason. He is not the reason they're winning football games. They no. are good. They are physical. You know, a lot of people, we saw this with Warriors-Cabs, like the fatigue of seeing teams match up four or five times in a row, uh, kind of the uh, absence of parity, I would say. Uh, sign me up for Georgia-Alabama part four or five, whatever this is. I, I would not get fatigued by that. If that's the SEC championship matchup, uh, that's fine by me. That's going to be awesome television. All
0: for it. I, I want it twice. Yeah, exactly. That sounds awesome. I want to see how many times Kirby can lose the game by himself. that That's what I want to see. Really? is
1: talking talk about, like, we talk about Kiffin, maybe Alabama, like, kind of not being in his head to some degree, but, like, maybe being blinded by wanting to beat them so badly. Kirby, oh, my God. Talk about a team being in his head. Holy hey, shit. It's
0: not even – they're not even in his head. He's just in his own head. Yes. so he, It has nothing to do with Saban. He just physically can't get out of his own way. That's his problem. And this team has a chance to win the national championship. More than I guess obviously they were in one and they kind of should have won it. This team has a not that hard of a path to get there. And they are much better than that team with From in them. I mean, JT Daniels is better than Fromm, even though who knows what the hell is going on with that Cali kid. He's he's a he's like Gimme Garoppolo. He's just made a glass. I don't know what the hell his deal is. Um, but they're they're exceptionally talented.
1: They really are. And to your point, like it's like, I think that's why I think that Clemson win was big to some degree, because it's not even just to Alabama. It's like the, when they play teams as elite as they are talent wise, they seem to struggle sometimes. It's that ridiculous stat. The first two, the national championship and then the SEC title game the next year with the fake punt. And he just kind of got in his own head was yeah. that stat where they played a, like one hundred and twenty eight minutes or whatever it is because of overtime or 120 minutes. And Georgia had led for one hundred and seventeen of those minutes and was 0 and two. Like, yeah. that, that, that's kind of – you need evidence of him being in his own head. So, I put them as the favorite to win it so far. I've honestly been more impressed with them than I would Alabama just from a defensive perspective. Uh, sure. Poor Dan Mullen went to Lexington, Kentucky, and had some issues again. Uh, this guys. was wedding time for me. I know you were at your own game, didn't catch a ton of this, but just what do you make of this? To me, I just think Kentucky shrunk the gap from an overall roster, like, talent standpoint. And the whole quarterback thing was not as big of a mismatch as you would normally assume it is in this game between Will Levis and uh, Emory Jones and credit to Kentucky. This is a huge win for them. I think, you know, they're now three and O and Florida's one and two in the sec West or East, excuse me. Yeah. And Kentucky has the tiebreaker that they're in prime position to kind of take that next rung up the ladder and finish second in their division.
0: Which is what I predicted. I didn't see it coming this, this way, but, uh, we said it last week, you know, they haven't looked good. They haven't looked how I thought they were going to look, but they just kept winning football games and they did the exact same thing as Florida. Like I will admit, I did not watch a second of this game. I was at the LSU Auburn game. You know, it wasn't on my tailgating TVs. I didn't see it. We saw it kind of playing in the stadium. So I kind of saw a few of the bigger plays. They, they, they out coached Mullen something Stoops has done kind of a lot since he's been there. He, he is a great game by game game plan coach especially on the defensive side of the ball looks like levis played fine they've got some athletes wandale robinson had a great play uh, he's huge for them haven't seen enough of him they're uh i don't think that they can beat georgia i, I don't think they have the horses for that one but i mean uh new year six bowl i mean is that really that crazy i mean Missouri looks like shit. They already beat them. They got Vanderbilt coming up at some point. Uh, Mississippi State good win, not world beaters. So Kentucky looks really good. I don't know who they play next week. Um, but that was a great win for them. A bad loss for Florida.
1: Would you like some mind blowing numbers from this game? To your point about them out coaching them again, I watch very small bits and pieces of it based on where you know getting a drink at the bar or peeing at this reception. Sure, Kentucky. One of nine on third down. Oh, my God. Kentucky, 224 yards of total offense. Florida had 382. Kentucky threw for 87 yards. Florida threw for 211. Florida rushed it for 171. Kentucky rushed it for 137. 224 yards of total offense and converted one third down and won the game by a touchdown. How does that work?
0: I, if if i remember correctly if watching some post game stuff i think florida had like a like a ton of terrible turnovers and a ton of terrible flags like they were just like really just penalized horribly bad turnovers which is kind of something that they've been dealing with a lot whereas kentucky was giving away turnovers they finally took some back i mean that's turnovers change everything they screw with the vegas numbers they screw with everything. If you make enough of them, the game, no one, it could be anybody, and you can beat anybody if you force enough, and that's clearly what they did to win the game. So good for them.
1: It was certainly the turnovers because I actually thought the same thing, and they actually were even in the turnover battle one-to-one, but Florida was penalized 15 times for 125 yards. That's not great.
0: Yeah, that, that's exactly yeah, that's That's horrible.
1: And Kentucky ran it effectively. They just didn't have the ball a ton. They averaged four and a half yards a rush and like seemed pretty effective on that. So anyway, wild one there. Uh, Yeah, I don't really know what to make the future of Mullen. Uh, If I know Dan Mullen staying on brand, if he has any interest in the USC job, that will be floated out there soon. Because it seems like uh, the uh, situation might be slightly deteriorating there. And uh, they're in Gainesville because there was kind of some buzz about his issues last year. You know, they had that kind of, internal investigation with the NCAA or whatever it was, where they kind of announced that they got docked some scholarships or whatever the hell it was or practice time, but it never, like no one ever knew they were under investigation. So uh, kind of fascinated to see how that plays out the rest of the year at the same time. Like it wouldn't stun me if they beat Georgia, like from a talent perspective, but I don't really see it. So congrats to Kentucky. Other surprising one state goes into college station and beats Texas A&M Again, night slate, didn't see a ton of it because of this wedding, but I watched some highlights today and kind of tried to dive into some of the statistics. a uh, and played really bad defensively. They're not very good offensively. We knew that part of it. But I guess if you're kind of trying to get at something, if the like it, that's the way the air rate is supposed to look. I think A&M was very badly prepared for that. Will Rogers 46 of 59 for 408 three touchdowns and only 7 oh, yards of completion shit. but no turnovers. That to me that offense kind of took shape against a really bad game
0: plan. 46 of 59 is what he was?
1: Yeah. 46 of 59 for
0: 408. She I mean I mean that's you it is a fireable offense. Is Mike Elko still the defensive coordinator at A&M, I think he is. I think that's like, correct. Almost 100% sure he is. Or he might have gone to Notre Dame. No, I think he's still there. Whoever is there, it doesn't matter. You should be fired if you're not well prepared for Dan Mullins. I mean, not Mullins, uh, for Mike Leach's offense, because everybody knows what it is. You keep him in front of you. You drop eight. You deal with the stats. You stop him in the red zone, make him kick field goals, and then you have to be competent on offense. Well, guess what? AM is not competent on offense at all. And if you're not prepared for their offense and you can't move the ball yourself, it's a bad combination. Um, I, state ran for 30 yards in one to add on to your point. Yeah. I mean, I, I shat on state a lot last week. Uh, this is a really good win for them. Um, they're, they're not good, but they're not bad. And that's, that's how it is. That's how that team's going to be probably for a long time. They're not going to be that good. They're not going to be that bad. Something like this can happen. Uh, I think this says a lot more about where AM is at, which is not in a good place.
1: Agree. And agree on your state aspect of it was, even though, again, it was kind of funny the way they'd played the first four weeks or whatever and kind of like poking fun at the no adjustments in the air rate thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ceiling with the air rate is lower, but at times once it seems like he gets it implemented, the floor can be lower as well to where Correct. like, it seemed like it was always going to take longer to take shape. Like it's just kind of the way it is. And even at Washington state, he had some really like weird results against, you know, FCS and non power five opponents where it's like, how the hell did this happen? It doesn't always look great, but that to me, and I'll actually am interested to go back and watch some of this game Seemed like the offense finally started to take shape a little bit, which it had in spurts in the past. They just, it seemed like they stopped doing dumb stuff throughout mm-hmm. the course of this game so I'm with you on that like their floor is much their ceiling is much lower but like they're never going to be completely inept doing that there's a very low variance I guess in terms of how
0: that works would you agree with that I would if they when they get Sawyer Robertson ready to go which is the kid they got from Texas he uh he should be a really good player that that will work a lot more smoothly it's going to be interesting to see what they look like when they lose Charles Cross, who is a yeah. phenomenal football player. He's going to be like a top 10, top 15 guy in the draft. Um, will they be able to kind of cycle in talent that's athletic enough, competent enough in the SEC to win, you know, games like this against a and I don't know. But it's a really good win. They, they Mike Leach always plays well in an underdog role. He always is really bad in a favorite role. I'm not. I like when I saw this happen. I was not floored by any means. I was kind of like, oh, I see that. I bet on him. Good for me. That
1: could take that to the bank. Congrats to you. Now we're at your game. Uh, I'll let you lead the way on this. I caught a decent bit of the second half. Once the reception is over, I kind of posted at this hotel bar, and they had a TV up. It's actually quite a pleasant situation. I was surprised at uh, how uh, how good of a TV setup I'd stumbled on that late at night. Uh, thoughts on this? I uh, I figured LSU would probably win this just because Auburn's got the quarterback deal going on, but Holy hell. I mean, and LSU was in control of this game for most of the game and really just imploded in the fourth quarter. Their inability to run the football seems to be a massive issue for them that no one really wanted to talk about until like the last two weeks thoughts on this game.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I'll get some, get some day thoughts. Uh, I'll, my Ole Miss fans will not like to hear this or not. I have no fans, but, all people who are listening to this will not like to hear this. Nothing touches game day there. Tailgating's better. The game day atmosphere is phenomenal. They had the, uh, the parachuters come in. It was wild. Uh, uh, give me tailgating there and game day there over anything. Sorry. Spicy just, to start it out. I love it. That's just – I just, like, I haven't been back there in what feels like a while because of all the COVID stuff, and it wasn't the same – I just forgot how much fun it is to be able to eat and all the tailgates out there. It's just wild. It's in the open. It's nice. Even though it was raining, which sucked, it just kind of made it a little bit more wild, honestly. Uh, So it's always a good time to get back there. Now let's get to the game. They they cannot run the football, but they don't try to run the football. I saw a stat from a guy that tweeted this out earlier today that LSU in the fourth quarter when they were leading – did not run the football once when they were leading in the fourth quarter, not a single rushing attempt. It was like three passes, punt, seven passes, punt, four passes, punt. Then Auburn got the ball back scored and then LSU like ran it twice after that. That's kind
1: of an insane insane statistic. That's wild to think about.
0: It's insane. It's, it's unbelievable. And I honestly thought they were kind of getting into a groove with what Pete's was trying to do. Um, they were in control of that game for the majority of it. I'll give credit to Bo Nix; he played the game of his life, and probably will be the game of the rest of his career. It was really impressive. I mean, he was all over the place, uh, making plays, running around. It was he was did a great job. But there's no doubt about it. Um, I think the LSU football team is just average. I said it after <laughs> Central Michigan. I said it after Mississippi State, and I'm just going to say it after this game. They're just not that good. Um, I think Pete's is adjusting, but not even trying to run the football is, is ridiculous. Even if you can't do it, you have to at least, you know, work through it a little bit. Uh, the defense is playing fine. Uh, they're, they're competent on defense. They're incredibly athletic. They're not very uh, thick. And it seems like some of the impact guys I thought were going to be impact guys haven't been as good as, as they've wanted to early on. But they're young and talented and athletic. But they're just, as a football team, very, very average. Yeah, I talk about this Knicks being the
1: game of his life. He was very effective in the running game, too. And look, for all the flaws of that kid, uh, and I saw Feinbaum did the whole, like, his downfall is inevitable type of thing. And I didn't, I'm not the biggest Bo Nix believer in the world, but there's a certain amount of like stones you have to have just as like a kid or a man, whatever you want to call him as individual to get benched in very embarrassing fashion against Georgia state. It's not like Alabama just clocked him for two and a half quarters (laughs) and they decide to go with someone else. He gets benched at home against Georgia state and to respond in this environment, you know, against that team and in that streak, um, that's pretty impressive to me just from a mental fortitude standpoint. They were pretty effective in the running game. I actually, he was their leading rusher. Tank Bixby didn't have a ton of success on the night. But Bo Nix carried it 12 times for 74 yards and a touchdown and was yeah. their leading rusher. I don't really know what to make of Auburn. Like, they probably shouldn't have beaten Georgia State two weeks ago, but they haven't gotten destroyed by anyone. Like, I mean, that Penn State game wasn't great. I wasn't overly overwhelmed by how i felt about auburn after that but i was like oh they're probably fine so they're gonna be someone that throws a wrench in part of this because they do get georgia and alabama i don't think they'll beat either one of them but they're gonna they're they're gonna kind of like be up 10 in the second quarter or something against one of these teams they're probably not supposed to beat it's gonna be kind of fascinating so i yeah i thought this was an interesting one because this feels like i think i wrote this in the newsletter if with what LSU has coming up road trip to Kentucky, then Florida, if they didn't win this, this was going to expedite the Ed's done process because where are the wins coming over the next month and a half for them?
0: Oh boy. I mean, you know, the shit's already coming out. Everybody that's got, you know, some sort of dirt on him is trying to float it out there just to get him fired with cause probably coming from the LSU administration, because that's how that place functions these days. I think there was like some rumor of a, A sex tape with some, like, 20-year-old, you know, LSU student that was on tire droppings this morning that someone had to whack. Uh, I'm pumped
1: for it. That sounds awesome.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of for that as well. But, yeah, I mean, they're going to come all out of the woodworks, which is no pun for Woodward's name, to figure out a way if this thing goes south to fire him without cause. And it's going to be some dirty snake bullshit that, you know, has just been riding with this program for two years, it seems like. Um, Do it right now though.
1: At Kentucky, home Florida, at Ole Miss, bye week at Alabama, home Arkansas. Would you bet on them to win the football game against any of those teams right now?
0: Um not particularly. Um, I think they are set up to be able to beat like Kentucky and Arkansas. Um will they actually do it? I have no idea. They play Kentucky next week, right? Correct in Lexington. Yeah, I mean, that could be a definitely a let down spot for Kentucky after you know beating that Florida for the first time it's like what 76. Um, but I'm not gonna bet on LSU, that's for fucking sure. It's probably an 11 o'clock game or something like that. I don't I don't want anything to do with that. Um I, I don't think they're definitely not beating Alabama. Um I don't think they can I don't think they're a better team than old miss, and they're going to Oxford. And Florida, if you get the good Florida, I would say they're not beating them either. So, yeah, it doesn't look good. It's probably – this ship has probably sailed. And, honestly, I heard – I think I mentioned it. I already heard that it it is actually already sailed. And it's just a matter of time, not if, but when. Um, So, will they do it in the season, after the season? Who knows? I think the real question is – They go after (laughs) because I'm sure that'll be a fun Ole Miss topic whenever they bring up Lane Kiffin's name, which will be brought up for every job. Do you Um, see
1: that at LSU? I don't. The immediate fit doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Am I naive enough to say he wouldn't take LSU if he wanted a better gig? No, but I that to me that I guess the timing of it and like where they're at now that seems like a very odd fit
0: to me. Maybe I'm wrong. I I don't disagree with you. Um, Is LSU a better job than Ole Miss? Undoubtedly. Uh, the money won't be that much different. It's not like they're going to pay you so much more that it's going to be substantially different. I think that LSU has now fired a coach two years after a national championship, along with three different coordinators. Not the best place for job security, and I highly doubt Kiffin, despite knowing that that's a better job and a better chance to win more games, is going to look at it and say, yeah, I really want to go deal with that bullshit right now. Where everyone loves me and, like, you know, kisses my feet here in Oxford. Uh, I don't really want to go to Baton Rouge where I can't, like, do what I want to do because that place is, uh, it's in a rough state right now, to say the least. Yeah, I, that's
1: a good point. It, probably, we could probably talk. I mean, this is probably a conversation for another day, but, like, when they this yeah. thing there, does inevitably they... open up, it's like, yeah. if I, even if I'm a coach that, like, would want that job, right? Who would not want that job? It's like the last three guys that have coached there won national titles. When you kind of want to wait out the bigger picture volatility, because something's going to, like, the proverbial shit is going to hit the fan there at some point. You think, I mean, like the everyday right. Will Wade's still the head basketball coach there is just miffing to me. But like <laughs> at some point, there's going to be some sort of like, I hate to compare the situations. I don't mean to, but like Baylor like overturn right, like you would think,
0: yeah. I it's you, it's hard to compare anything to Baylor, but I get what you go. I get what you're like, going. The, yeah, from a sheer athletic, the department, they're off. all
1: out. We're in a different <laughs> culture standpoint. Not the not, not the hate. uh uh what happened at each one per se.
0: It's not that far off, I guess, according to reports, but <laughs> I think it's a little bit different. Um yeah, I the easy decision for them would be to make that call an hour west to in Lafayette and bring in Billy Napier, who's a professional. Which is someone they haven't had as a head coach uh, since Nick Saban with less. I like that take. I mean, they haven't. Les Miles clearly is a piece of shit, and which is tough for me to say as someone who like knows him and his family. Um, and Ogeron won a national championship. You can, can't doubt him for that, but when it comes to being a professional and an adult in that position, they haven't had one in 15 years, what it feels like. So hiring Billy, who is Baby Sabin, baby Kirby, but honestly even more introverted, but knows both sides of the ball, is incredibly professional, has won at a pretty damn high level at ULL, and like has recruited and evaluated at a level that that program hasn't seen even when they had Hudspeth there and they were good. It makes too much sense. I don't know if Scott Woodward's ego will get in the way and he's going to be, you know, farting up his own ass, trying to call Urban Meyer or something like that. Or that is not even a phrase. Might have to cut that out. I don't even know what I was trying to say. But you know, blowing smoke up his own ass, like trying to like go get Urban Meyer or Pete Carroll or something stupid, which is probably what he'll who he'll first call. But it makes too much sense to go get Napier. I don't think Lane would be a fit with Scott. Um, Scott hates Scott hates dealing with Ogeron's bullshit, <laughs> and Lane. He's not the same as he was 10 years ago, but there's still plenty of bullshit there that you kind of have to deal with. So I I don't see it. But then again, if they offer more money and he's like, screw it, this is a better job, who knows? I'd be a lot more concerned if I was Ole Miss fans, which they seem to be concerned every single week about this. The Miami job is the only one where I look at it and be like, yeah, I could see it. And I could see it happening. That's the only one. All the other ones, they're not going to be that many open in the SEC, except for maybe LSU. The Miami one is the one that, if I'm an Ole Miss fan, I'm paying very close attention. That's not some insider story news. That's just the fit where it's at. You could win there. You can recruit there. And he can live there. It, It makes a lot of sense from a lot of different angles. Is Miami that much of a better job than Ole Miss? That can be debated. I'd say it's closer than people may think, Uh, but that's the, I wouldn't worry. That's the one though. That's, that's definitely the one I I would look at.
1: I don't have a uh, ton to add to that other than I farted out of my own ass on the plane today and the people (laughs) around me didn't appreciate it. No, not really. I don't want to be that guy, but I, I'm going to steal that phrase.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I even said that. It doesn't even make sense looking back at it. But you know what?
1: You I mean. hear half the things I say on here. I tell, you that, <laughs> tell myself that once a week. But oh, you know what? It's, uh, we're, we're still moving product and we're still putting out content. So we're <laughs> point okay. point The point only, point only point other games we had to get to was there's not really much to add. T- like Tennessee, Missouri. Um, I don't even know, remember if we talked about this game, but i, I from, saw it uh,
0: coming, baby. From a oh,
1: wagering perspective, and you were all – because I know you're a Hypo guy. I just saw it as these two teams, like you kind of mentioned, were a lot of man. and I'm going to go with the one who's a good coach and a good game planner, and <laughs> yeah. my God, is that Missouri defense way worse than average than we may be credited for. I think they're average offensively and very below average defensively. 62 points, they fired a defensive line coach. is like the sacrificial lamb, I guess, when something like it's that happens. Nonsense. Good for Hypo in Tennessee. I think that's something to feel good about. Um, but man, Missouri stinks.
0: Yeah. they There must be really bad. I, I watched a little bit of this game early on. Cause I bet on Tennessee, uh, when I was at home watching Georgia, Arkansas, we flipped it on. Um, I'm obviously very high on Heupel and his scheme and his offense and what I think they can be. I am not a Tennessee fan at all. I don't care anything about Tennessee, you know, growing up LSU, we'd never played Tennessee ever. Um, no ill will there. Don't really care, but I just really believe that he's going to do a good job there. And, uh, I think they're pretty good, and Hooker played. He played well. I was a Milton guy, but I think they they've done what they need to do with him at quarterback. They still have a talent deficiency, but I'll also still say that Ole Miss going there, yeah, I think Ole Miss will win that football game. And but I don't think it's some you know foregone conclusion by any means. I think they're actually pretty decent. And if you can't stop them, and they're on a roll, they're tough. Same as Ole Miss. It's it's very similar teams. Just Ole Miss has a much better quarterback and a much better roster.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there to where if that game kind of becomes a, a squirrely one for the rebels, it's the fact that they can't stop them defensively. I don't see Ole Miss going in there having too much issue scoring points against Tennessee. It would be the fact right. that it's like, why can't we stop them from scoring? Right. Uh, the other two, congrats to South Carolina. Every win counts. I guess they beat Troy 23 to 14, whatever. They, they, I, I couldn't – like, you can't give some large take on South Carolina until a year or two from now as to whether that guy can get talent. Clearly, they like him. Clearly, they buy in. They play pretty hard for him, but they just don't have the horses.
0: Yeah, that was the most disgusting line of the weekend, along with Wisconsin minus two against Michigan. South Carolina was a – when the game kicked off, a five-and-a-half-point favorite against Troy at home. Oh. Nasty. I took the side of the what I thought was the smart – and Troy, I think I got it like six. I, I like the Beamer guy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. I, I kind of like him. He seems like he really cares. And, you know, they, they're winning games. They, I guess, are kind of supposed to win. And, and your first year with a team that's really bad, that's like all you can really ask for. Yeah. It doesn't look pretty, hasn't been pretty, but they're winning. And uh, South Carolina's a good job. You can recruit there. It's one of the most underrated talent states in the whole country. South Carolina has some horses. They've always been going to Clemson, but some have been going to South Carolina too. Uh, he he can he might do all right there. I don't think he'll win long-term, but uh, I I'm, I'm find myself oddly cheering for him, and I don't know if I like it or know why.
1: I think there's a lot of people that feel that way, and I don't think they could explain why either. So, congrats to being Shane Beamer, for being a likable dude. Last one was the internet people were calling this the Sickos Bowl. I guess that's a new term from, like, if you're going to gamble or watch on a game, that's just complete crap Uh, (laughs) Vanderbilt wins. They won 20 30 to 28 against the Yukon Huskies. The fact that Yukon, you know, I talked about this last week to somebody on the show. I know that the official universities can't really lean into the gambling thing, but if I'm the Vanderbilt sports information director, I'm lobbying the hell out of wanting to put we're once a 16 point favorite in 2021 in the game notes. Because that's as significant a thing that's happened to Vanderbilt as anything in the last two uh, in the last decade or so. So, congrats
0: to them. Uh, do You have any hard hitting analysis on this game? No, uh, my brother had a friend in town, so he's a senior at Vanderbilt, and uh, he had a friend in town that came to the game with us. And we sat with him, and uh, he they were talking shit all morning because Ole Miss <laughs> lost, LSU lost, and the the boys won, <laughs> the Commodores won. Uh, Good for that kid.
1: Good for him for being allowed to talk a little noise and have it actually come true.
0: Oh yeah, no, uh, that was that was very big for him. They're they're more of a baseball school, as we all know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, good for them. Who knows? UConn must be terrible. They probably aren't playing Division One football in three years. I think I heard Neil say that on the podcast. The one I, I listened to one or two of them. I think the admin had its way.
1: They wouldn't be to playing division one football this year.
0: Yeah. I don't think, I think we're almost supposed to play. And I think Neil is right. I don't think that game's played. I don't think Connecticut's playing like division one a or whatever the hell it's called. FBS football in in three years. Uh, That's a joke of a program and they don't care. So who cares?
1: I guess the spin zone would be good teams win. Great teams cover. So don't let the Huskies get hot. They were 16 point underdogs and covered the hell out of that. So great for them. God if you put money you. on the UConn Huskies plus 16, seek help. I love
0: you if you the- that. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, so now it is time for the fastest-growing segment on American soil. It is Soccer Corner, big week in the English Premier League. I say that without having done a lick of research, um, but it just seems like every week's a big leak in this, uh, in this league. What? Uh, I'll just tip it to you first this time while I scramble to look up Brentford Statistics what, uh, what happened this week? We're seven games into the season. Apparently, there's a lot of games, a lot of different leagues. But it uh, seems like there's uh, starting to feel, uh, separate the men from the boys. I just
0: made that up. So, say whatever you want about soccer here. Uh, that's semi-fair. Uh, I guess we'll start with earlier in the week, Champions League weekday. Uh, the second game to the group stage happened. I don't know if you saw. United played Villarreal. Ronaldo scores in the 95th minute. To win the game uh 2-1 it was an electric factory there in the theater of dreams as they call it uh good thing is we turned around saturday morning and played everton who is a good team not great team and tied again we are winless in three straight premier league games i believe which is uh, not bit, good right not great uh, a little bit of controversy ronaldo didn't start uh there's a lot of soccer. You know, they love firing coaches, so now they're all talking about firing the United or sacking them, wherever that from. Um, sacking the United. I States. love that. Love that word. I love that they use it like that. Uh, not a great result there. The Brentford Bees won. They beat a very good West Ham team in like the last second. Uh, they're on a roll. I gave you the correct team. I thought this was going to happen, and I've tried to watch them. They're fun. They're good, and they're going to stay up this year. And that's. For you and your lifelong fandom, that's very exciting. Oh, uh, I'm
1: pumped. It's a great time to be a Brentford uh, fan. It is it really uh, at no other time in our history can I remember this much excitement until we got bought by dudes that are uh, into uh, analytics and gambling.
0: Right, exactly. And that's, you know, analytics works. And it's clearly working for them from a financial and success standpoint. Uh, this morning, Liverpool played Man City, probably the two of the top three teams in the table. Uh, you probably didn't watch it. Actually, I know you didn't watch it. It was a shaky Wi-Fi on the plane. It wasn't for lack of trying. It wasn't actually, it was a, it was a classic. It was an amazing game. We actually did not. This is a Rotenberg, maybe the first time ever. We did not turn on NFL football at 12 o'clock because wow. man, man city and Liverpool scored four goals in the second half. It was, it was amazing. It really was an awesome, awesome, awesome game. It ended up 2-2, which I know Americans hate, but it was great. And then, of <laughs> course, I had to turn that into the Fin Saints game. So I wish I could have just kept on with freaking watching that. Uh, so that was awesome. But a new addition to our soccer corner will be, don't need to worry about Premier League because it's World Cup qualifying week for the United States men's national team. I don't know if you know this or not. I'm sure you don't. That's okay. I don't uh, okay. know it,
1: but explain it to me, because I'm actually interested in this side of it. There's so many qualifiers. such. Why is this where the rubber
0: meets the road week? So it's it's the second group of games. Uh, the first group was in September, and they had a pretty – they started off really rough, had a really good win on the road in Honduras. This week, I think they have Jamaica, Panama, and Costa Rica. I think they have to go to Panama. Uh, it's a little bit different. We're missing Pulisic and Gio Reyna who are probably our two best – no, not probably. Definitely our two best players. So that will be difficult to overcome. But uh, they play three games. It's kind of – I think there's nine or ten teams that play in the octagonal or hexagonal or whatever, some sort of shape they do it. Uh, but you play all these teams a certain amount of times uh, in the year running up to the World Cup. And their next international break is this week. You'll have the European qualifiers, Africa. All of them will be playing this week. They're all throughout the day. They're awesome to watch. It's kind of a different experience. Um, so, that is, it's a big week for them. They really need to uh, kind of begin to win some of these. They struggled early on. If they can beat Jamaica at home, they play in Austin. I wish I could go. Uh, they, they're, they're currently in fourth or third, which means they qualify. I think four of the nine teams qualify. Or three of the nine teams qualify, the fourth goes into a playoff for the World Cup against like Australia or something. Uh, so very big week for the U.S. team, missing some key players, added some different players to this, this squad, um, which is I've never really followed it as hard as I have for this qualifying campaign. But that's a kind of interesting dynamic, the way it works. So it's a pretty big week for soccer and it'll be fun in prime time to watch them.
1: Is this an injury thing? Why are we missing guys? And will we qualify for the World Cup? That's probably the best question.
0: Um, they're, Yeah, they're both injured. They both got hurt uh, during the last one. Gio Reyna, who plays in Dortmund in Germany, for that's like the second-best team over there. He's a phenomenal young player. Uh, I think he was kind of questionable. Like, he might have been added to the squad. Uh, they bring, like, 23, I think. To, uh, to camp, they train and they you know they they use those players to fill out the lineups for the three games, um, so they're not going to be there. But we st- we're still got some quality guys. The uh, Ricardo Pepe is going to be the new American hero. He just chose us over Mexico and then scored twice against Honduras on the road. He's a fucking legend.
1: Boom! Uh, not only the biggest victories over Mexico
0: since maybe the Alamo or something. Yeah. No, it's weird. I've really never. I've always followed and watched the United States, but the drama of recruiting these kids to pick your country is something I have never followed really ever in my life. This one was like the biggest one in a while. Let's he, go. Respect their decision. No interviews. Exactly. And they uh, he's like actually born in Guadalajara, but grew up in El Paso. So he just was like, I grew up here. I found myself here. He is a hell of a player. He's going to be playing in Europe very soon. He plays in Dallas right now if you ever want to go watch him. Uh, but so th- there was still some quality on that team. And we, yes, we should qualify for the World Cup. If we do not, somebody fucked up. So I was going to ask you this. Why? I was about to
1: ask why Brentford has two weeks off. Is this why? Is this International World break.
0: International break. So all the guys will go fly to whatever country they're at. They'll train with their team for this international break is what they call it. So all the pro leagues will be done. All the European guys will go to their teams, train with the national team, and then play these three games, come back to their team, restart up the Champions League and the Premier League and all that kind of stuff. How common is that? During World Cup qualifying, that's just how it works. Okay. So, So like, sometimes, like, the U.S. won the Gold Cup, It's kind of like our version of the Euro Cup this summer. But we didn't have, like, any Premier League players on that team. The the teams didn't even release them. They were like, no, you're not going to play over there. Like, you got to come train with us. You know, like, six playing with Chelsea. He's like, you come train with us. But we had another competition where they released all the players. They are like, yeah, like, you're good to go play. So it happens pretty frequently. World Cup qualifying makes it a little bit more frequent. But uh, that's kind of just how it works.
1: I'm the last thing before we wrap up because I've kept you for like two hours here, but sorry, the whole, this next generation is coming. Like, so you have like ingratiated yourself with my former radio colleague, Brian Haydad. He loves soccer. Borky, our producer loves soccer. I used to love screwing with them on the radio. It's like, I heard that next generation's coming because we lost to a country I've never heard of. What was that? Trinidad and Tobago. Sounds like a geometry problem.
0: Don't tell me prep or wherever the hell you went to high school didn't teach you geography you went to JA, didn't you
1: yes JA. so they taught
0: you geography of central america you know where that country is but yeah
1: i've been able to I, I, so is that that's a caribbean country is that correct
0: that is correct
1: okay so it had been a while since i I thought like i figured like it had been a while since i thought about the country trinidad and tobago and i'm honestly i'm not sure uh if JA taught me that maybe if i was smart enough to get into prep who knows <laughs> uh, I would have learned important stuff like that. I used to love to screw with them about the whole next generation stereotype or uh, storyline. I should say, is that actually true? Like, are we ever going to be good at this?
0: No. Yeah. We, we're in it. I don't know if we have the coach for it. I honestly kind of, I don't, I don't know much about soccer when it comes to like coaching and game planning and formations and stuff like that. I've, I've tried to learn a lot because I find it fascinating just how it works. Can we sack like, him who I don't even know his name. Can we sack our guy? Greg Berhalter. Yeah, we do it a lot. We fire coaches a lot. Uh, I I don't, I don't, not a hundred percent sure he's the guy to get us there, but yeah, I mean, our starting 11 when like we play our best players is damn near every guy is playing for one of the top clubs in Europe. Like we really do have a lot of really good players, a lot of really good young players. Uh, A guy, Brendan Aronson, uh, plays for Red Bull Salzburg, which is a pretty good team uh, in Austria. I think they won the league last year. He's a hell of a player. He's like, 20 Reina is 19 Pulisic is only like 24 Pepe is 18 and he's going to be our starting forward for probably the next 10 years like that's how it works Weston McKinney got kicked off the team for the letter in the last uh group stage I believe he uh brought a girl into the hotel and they're in Nashville oh yeah no no bueno in the COVID bubble but he's back on the roster. He plays midfield for Juventus, which is the biggest team in Italy. So, yeah, they're, they're – Tyler Adams plays for Leipzig in the Bundesliga. He's a hell of a – like, There we have legitimate talent to not only qualify for the World Cup, but, like – and we're not going to win it, but we can compete if the draw works out the way it does. We absolutely have the talent to compete with other teams.
1: What's the uh, – the, uh I had I lied. One more follow-up because you made me – think when you talked about not winning the world cup compared to other sports like when vanderbilt laces it up every year they have no prayer to do anything of significance in college football in terms of the national landscape when the cleveland cavaliers conclude training camp this fall they know they're not winning an nba title nor winning a playoff series how ridiculous ridiculous would it be for the u.s to kind of push all the right buttons and get to a world cup final or something like that like if you can give me like a general sense of just how absurd it would be do they have no prayer or is it just not realistic
0: um I, it's not unrealistic it is incredibly difficult okay you know we, we just our best athletes don't go play soccer you know it's not that's like- always tough. Yeah, it's not like England and Italy and Germany where the guys that are guys, you know, some of them have started to play basketball, which is new, but you know, they we don't have, you know, the training and the uh the facilities and kind of the backbone to be a the best. But we have the talent now to if we coach correctly and kind of do some things right, that we can absolutely compete. Can we win a World Cup? It's not impossible. I bet you if if it started tomorrow we'd probably be like 15 to one to win the whole thing that might be the odds maybe like 17 18 to one which is it's not I mean it's not great odds but it's not like it's impossible um, but we it's not impossible there's a chance
1: it's good to know I'm calling it uh, already when's the next one 2022
0: 2023 2022 Qatar uh in the winter because it's too hot in Qatar to play in the summer. So it'll actually be in during the winter in like December and January of next 20, next year's 2022. So that'll be new. Um, Many people have died building this thing. So I'm sure it'll be a spectacle. Uh, I,
1: I was going to say, I've read about that <laughs> where they just kept like losing soldiers building these stadiums. Like, no, it's cool. It's really not that big a deal. It's like, actually, that probably seems like a huge deal. Uh, right. Probably should stop killing folks trying to build this. So that'll be interesting. I'm going to call it USA 2022 World Cup champions. Book it. Put your money down. Make it happen. This has been Soccer Corner. This has been our reaction podcast. It's probably the longest we've ever gone on a podcast. But look, man, we have to make time for the Brentford Beats. Like, that's really what this entire show was about. I appreciate the time. As always, dude, we'll uh, touch base definitely next Sunday after Arkansas. Uh, I will be in Oxford for that. That's the one game I'm making it back for this year. First time like tailgating and enjoying that aspect of it in six, seven years. So I'm pumped about that, but uh, we will catch up with you again soon, dude. I appreciate the time.
0: Absolutely. See you next time.
1: And that is our show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I know most of you were just fast forwarding through two hours to get to soccer corner, the fastest growing segment on American soil, but hope you enjoyed the football content in between. Got a lot of good stuff coming down the pipe. This week as Ole Miss prepares for a really interesting matchup with Arkansas. So stay tuned for that. But uh, I thought this was a great show. really enjoyed doing these pods with Weldon. They keep getting longer and longer, uh, which is not necessarily intentional. I just all of a sudden will get into a topic or two, and then I'll look up and be like, damn, it's been two hours. Probably should let him get on with his evening. So that's always a good problem to have and a great sign of a, uh, hopefully some great content. So I appreciate everyone listening as always. Thanks for the feedback. Like, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I probably don't say that one enough. And then subscribe to RebelDev.com. So we will catch up with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.